IT leaders embracing the role of change maker. What is organizational change management in digital transformation? And an excerpt from my new book called The Final Countdown. Those are just a few things we're going to talk about here today in episode 133 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 133. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited for today's episode, as always. Yeah, thank you for being here. Great uh, show planned for you today. Uh, again, my name is Eric Kimberling. I'm the CEO of Third Stage. Uh, Kyler is part of Third Stage as well. Uh, third Stage Consulting is an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach their third stage of digital transformation success. And this podcast has everything to do with digital transformation, including the people, process, technology, and strategy sides of change. We're excited to have you here today. Great uh, episode planned for you today. We have new episodes that come out for the show every Wednesday. You can find new episodes by going to transformationgroundcontrol.com, or you can search for us on Apple Music, uh, Amazon a Podcast, Google Podcast, all the usual audio podcast platforms, as well as we stream to YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter every Wednesday. So the easiest thing is probably just to go to transformationgroundcontrol.com and you can find it all the sources aggregated there. Um, but be sure to check out new episodes of the show every Wednesday. So great show planned for you today. We're going to open up with some questions and answers from the audience. Uh, we're going to get into a couple of hot topics in that opening segment where we talk about IT leaders who are embracing the role of change maker. And we'll also talk about how to answer four tough questions about digital transformation or from the front lines of digital transformation. And then later in the show, we're going to have a interactive session with the audience to talk about organizational change management. What is change management and how does it apply to digital transformation? What are some of the more effective strategies and tactics we've seen work for digital transformations? We're actually going to share a few, um, a few slides, uh, visual aids, if you will, to talk about change management. And we'll certainly take a lot of questions from the audience as it relates to that as well. And then finally, uh, last but not least, later in the show, we are going to, uh, Kyler is going to read an, her favorite excerpt from my new book, which is coming out on August 25th. It's called The Final Countdown, Digital Strategies to Help. Um, actually, I forgot the subtitle. Do you remember the subtitle? Kyler, I should probably remember that. I just know it's called The Final Countdown. But there's a subtitle that's something about digital strategy and how important it is. It's the three pillars of digital transformation success. What she said. That's the subtitle. So, yeah. uh, but, but you can learn more about that book by going to thefinalcountdown.com. Um, you can pre, you can put your name on the registration list to get notified when the pre-sale happens later this month. Go to thefinalcountdown.com. You can learn all about the book and put your name on the list to get notified when it comes out. It's my first book. I'm really excited. I've always wanted to publish a book. Uh, ever since I was a kid, I've always wanted to, I thought it'd be really cool to publish a book. So it only took me 50 years to get there, but uh, better late than never. And uh, I'm excited to hear what your favorite part of the book is, Kyler. 
So we'll talk about that later in the show. And um, so great episode. So what what uh, what have you got in store for us in terms of some of your question jar questions from the audience? Absolutely. So we've had some great questions from the audience specifically this week. And if you um, are new here or you'd like to post a question with hashtag Ask Eric, um, you can do that on any of his social media channels or our third stage brand channels as well. Um, these questions specifically are from his YouTube channel and TikTok. We had a lot of action happening on TikTok this week. So if you don't follow Eric, some great kind of bite-sized pieces of content um, to really learn about digital transformation. So let's pick some out of my jar here. Okay. Um, this one is from our your TikTok channel. So how do you differentiate digital transformation from digital modernization? I hear both phrases used these days. Yeah, it's interesting how um, caught up in words we get. You know, I've I've had I've noticed some comments on social media lately that words matter, and and actually I've been criticized at times for using words interchangeably. And I know that's a sometimes a weakness of mine. I sort of I interchange words or sort of lump a bunch of concepts into one bucket and interchange them. So I I understand that can be confusing, or not everyone agrees with that. But there, in, in my opinion. When you think about digital transformation versus modernization, I think, you know, if, if I were to slice hairs a bit, I would say digital transformation is focused more on a broader business transformation that includes technology, whereas digital modernization is more focused on modernizing systems. And so I guess, you know, one would, I would argue that one can and should lead with the business. The digital transformation is going to lead more with the business needs, whereas digital modernization or IT modernization is more focused on modernizing systems and leading with the technology. Um, I tend to have a bias toward the former, you know, digital transformation leading with the business. I think that's generally more effective in terms of getting business value and ensuring a project stays on track and stays focused. Um, whereas I, I worry or I see too often IT modernization efforts that get caught up in just focusing too much on technology without a bigger picture connection or, or without a connection to a bigger picture view of what the organization's trying to accomplish. So I say there's a slight difference, but at the end of the day, you have to define what, whether it's IT modernization, digital modernization, digital transformation, whatever you want to call it, you have to define what that means for your organization and prioritize accordingly. So I guess that's a long way of saying, in my opinion, it doesn't matter what you call it, call it what you want it to be for your organization and define it accordingly. Yeah, right. Owning those, those words, which actually you talk a lot about that in your book, how the words actually have to match the culture. And in a few episodes back, you talked about one of your um, top case studies. And it reminds me of when you said that you had this big, um, complex client that was really averse to the word change management. So yes, words do matter. But what really matters about them is not so much how someone says them on the internet, like Eric, but how you identify them as an organization, right? What do they mean to you? And and does everyone is everyone aligned around that meaning? And understand the objective. So good question. It's a great question. This is a really good question. And I'm I'm interested. I always like questions that I'm like, I have no idea how I would answer that. So that it always excites me to hear that. So so this is a good question about um, specifically on your um, software vendor contracting videos on YouTube. When do companies pay vendors and how do they know what they're actually getting? Um, great question. Well, First of all, I'll start with the second part of the question first. How do they know what they're actually getting? I think that's a great question because you have to obviously know what you're getting, but it's a common problem where 
during the sales cycle, you get demoed or you see a demo of a product or a module or a version of a product, and it doesn't necessarily match what you end up buying in, in the contract. And sometimes this is an unintentional oversight on vendor's part. On other times, you get an overzealous sales rep who's showing you this new version or this upcoming version of software and all the great capabilities, but then they don't, that's not the version you're actually getting. So you have to be really clear and really dive into during the demo process and understanding of what modules you're seeing, which version of the software you're seeing, and make sure that when you do go to contract with that vendor, you you reflect that in the contracts. So that's how you, you, you're you sure what you're getting. But as far as when you pay the vendor, typically they want you to buy all the licenses up front and start paying on those licenses right away, even before you start using them, which in my opinion, makes absolutely no sense, but that is how the industry works. You generally, you know, if you have a thousand users of the software that you're going to deploy over the next, say, three years, you're buying a thousand licenses on day one and you're paying for those licenses on day one. Now, generally what we'll do when we're helping our clients negotiate is we'll obviously push back on that and say, it makes absolutely no sense to pay for a thousand now when it's going to take us three years for the thousandth person to start using it. So let's you know buy this in more incremental phases. And by the way, we want you to lock in the pricing um, that you've offered us today. We want a, you to lock in the pricing for all thousand users. Let's just say that that's the number for all thousand users over the next three years. But we're going to incrementally buy those. And you can even set the milestones up front if that makes the vendor feel better or gets them to agree to it. But anything you can do to push back and defer that cost obviously will help. And, and vendors can absolutely do it. They may not want to, and they may not ultimately do it, but they can. It's just a matter of whether you can convince them to. They don't lose money by doing it. Um, they just don't make as much money up front. And sales rep are commissioned, I believe, more heavily on the upfront sale than they are sort of the ongoing additions of licensees. So that's part of the pushback you get is you get a sales rep who has a lot of commission to make on this deal. They'd rather sell you the thousand licenses now, get you to pay for it starting now versus waiting because they're not going to get paid as much typically on the on the later sales. So Hopefully that answers the question. Yeah. So I think a lot of people think that when the vendor tells you the payment terms or these terms of licenses, like you said, that that's a hard line. Like that that's just the way that it is. That's what we do. That's what everybody does. And it sounds like when we come in at third stage, there is some negotiation opportunities there. Is that correct? There is. Absolutely. I mean, you, you get the sort of set in stone feeling oftentimes from vendors like this is our pricing this is just how it is and then you know the other th the other game they play that you see it's it's actually funny sort of but it's also annoying and cringy at the same time is when vendors say oh man i've never gotten this approved before you know to to not pay for all thousand licenses now i'm gonna have to run this up the chain up to the ceo of the company and larry ellison's gonna have to approve this and you know it's sort of like they exaggerate like you know the, the effort it takes. And then when they do concede on something, they've never seen it happen before. They can't believe that the CEO approved it, but they did. But the deal expires in one week and, you know, they start to play the salesman sort of games. Yeah. But um, you just sort of, you know, maybe laugh at that, you know, maybe enjoy the humor in that and just do what you need to do for your business at the end of the day. It's, if for some, it's not funny. So maybe I shouldn't be so flippant about it, but um, I find it funny at times that sales reps still play those used car salesman sort of tactics, but, but they do. So you just have to be ready for it. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things is just having that awareness that they are very good at that. They've even, I always tell the the story of like, when we buy software, sometimes I go to Eric and I'm like, we have two days to do this and blah, blah you know, we, we got to, you know, get this deal. And even someone that's in the industry can oversee those 
types of red flags of, oh, you're actually being forced into this and you're not really taking the time to consider it. And I think that's, again, something that you talk about in the final countdown really well is making sure that you have this mindful approach to digital transformation, not only from the ownership standpoint of how do you use words, but also to understand this is your timeline, this is your project, and really to take ownership of that. No vendor, no SI needs to influence how you actually do this. And that that's a, a big benefit of third stage is coming in and just having that assurance that you can do these things in the industry that are quote unquote unheard of because we got to, you know, rise it up the chain to, you know, someone that has this deity um, approval process. Right. So um, I think that's that's just something that's a huge misconception in the industry and a great reason, again, to kind of read through final countdown um, when you are going through these types of projects. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You have to sort of set the set your own tempo. Like if it, if they're telling you you've got three days to decide and it's going to take you four then take four, don't you artificially decide you're going to do it in three just because a vendor's telling you to. Um, and I do that too. Like when we buy stuff internally from vendors or, you know, we're negotiating with our own vendors. And when I get those time-based things, you've seen me and I think you've been, you've probably been frustrated by it at times, Kyler, because you're caught in the middle, but I'm saying, oh, they want a decision in three days. Well, it's going to take me four, go back and tell them four days <laughs> just to not to, not to be a pain, but just to, make it clear that you are setting the tempo, not the, yeah. not the software vendor. This is our business. We're going to do what we need to do. And guess what? I, I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen a vendor walk away and say, well, I told you three, yeah. you waited till day four deals gone deals off the table. They they'll make a big deal, a big stink about it, but usually they'll end up uh, going back to whatever they initially offered you. Yeah. You know, I can confidently say you might be the one person in my personal and professional life that I have never seen influenced by an outside party. I've never even seen you like sweat about it. So um, definitely a good insight and another, you know, have countless reasons to read the book because it really is kind of that agnostic and independent standpoint of you can really stand in the ownership of your own project. So all good stuff. And if you do have questions for Eric or you want to ask questions on this podcast, you can either leave a question wherever you're you're joining us today um, in the comments and I will pull them. And then also you can comment on any sort of uh, channel. We, we monitor those um, really well. And Eric often answers them on the platform or we do at, on the third stage team as well. So so we've got um more questions in here for next week and definitely feel free to leave your questions here in the comments or wherever you're um, viewing our content. So thank you so much for those great questions. They're very thought provoking and really important to talk about lifting the veil of transparency in the industry. Absolutely. And if there's a question you want us to answer, you could leave it right now in the chat. You're listening to the podcast, but if you drop it in the chat now, it'll be, it'll end up in the question jar uh, soon enough. Kyler's pretty diligent about uh, pulling those in as, as they come in. Um, so love to, love to get the audience questions are always, it always makes it fun and engaging. And they're quite frankly, great questions that oftentimes I've never been asked or never really thought about. So it's great to, great to get those questions. Um, well, good. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into some hot topics. We're going to cover two hot topics in particular. We're going to talk about how it leaders are embracing the role of change makers. And we're also going to talk about how to answer four tough questions from the front lines of digital transformation. And then later, after we get into those hot topics, we're going to have a whole segment on what is organizational change management and how can we apply it to our digital transformations, what works, what doesn't work, what are the things you should be thinking about, all that good stuff. And then last but not least, later in the show, our, our last segment will be focused on the new book uh, called The Final Countdown. 
And Kyler is going to read us an excerpt from her favorite part of the book. So I'm excited for that. And uh, by the way, you can learn about the new book at thefinalcountdown.com. And if you're wondering, yes, it was named after the rock and roll song, The Final Countdown. So you're welcome for getting that song stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Um, welcome to my world. Ever since I named it that, now I always randomly get The Final Countdown stuck in my head. Um, so I just want to share the the, uh, the joy and the pain of, of that uh, situation. So stick around for that. We're going to read an expert from that book. And uh, in the meantime, we'll take a quick break. We'll be when right I back with more up, Transformation Ground Control. Well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, your host here on Transformation Ground Control. I want to personally invite you to our upcoming Stratosphere 2023 event. It's a conference that we host every year. It's a tech agnostic conference features a number of independent technology agnostic speakers, both from third stage consulting, as well as from outside our company. We try to bring in the, the industry's brightest minds and the most objective minds to help you learn the things you need to know to make your transformation successful. We cover everything from digital strategy to software evaluation, to change management, to program management, to process improvement, data and architecture, migration, all that kind of stuff we're going to cover here in Digital Stratosphere. It's going to be October 4th, 5th, and 6th in Denver, Colorado. I'll be there. Kyler will be there, our co-host here on Transformation Ground Control, as well as others will be there. So be sure to check us out. We'll also have great opportunities for networking, for peer networking, as well as networking with speakers. We're also going to have great entertainment, too. We'll have some happy hour networking events, as well as live music from That 80s Band, which is uh, my favorite cover band. They play all 80s stuff. Uh, so come enjoy that as well while you're, while you're at it. It's all happening in Denver, October 4, 5, and 6. Uh, you can go to stratosphere2023.com to learn more about the event. Be sure to register by August 15th to get the early bird discounts, which is uh, fairly significant. Again, stratosphere2023.com. Learn more about it. Hope to see you there. And uh, in the meantime, hope you enjoy the rest of this episode of Transformation Ground Control. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 133. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. We're both from Third Stage Consulting and your host today on today's episode of Transformation Ground Control. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. And or you can just go to transformationgroundcontrol.com and see all those different sources of watching or listening on one single place. So, um, You've got a couple hot topics here for us, Kyler. What have you got in store for us? Yeah, so I wanted to talk a little bit about um, IT leaders embracing change. Um, so there's actually some data around this, which I find kind of ironic because sometimes not only is it uh, a evolution of the IT role or the CIO role, really, to um, embrace change and embrace kind of the people side of a digital transformation, not just the technical side. But there's also some really hard data around that. So I want to kind of share that as a precursor to this conversation. Right. Um, so 85% of CIOs agree in this study that CIOs are becoming a true change maker, increasingly leading business and technology initiatives. So, you know, that's a, a pretty high percent of that role. Um, and a lot of it they had cited was brought on by pandemic era changes or economic uncertainties and really making sure that technology can be the backbone of the organization, but also understanding without buy-in and without things like user adoption and overall cultural enhancements, you can't really leverage the um, 
the technology within the organization. So they actually um, talk about the importance of organizational change management initiatives, which I think is a really refreshing approach, especially for a more technical role within the organization. So I'm going to tell you a few ways in which they are embracing this change that they found trends from the study. And there's a few I want to dive into. So the first is leading by example. And obviously, this is showcasing when you have um, a new technology embracing as the leader or the CIO or the IT leader, that change management is important and setting those expectations for measurement and implementation on the actual change side, as opposed to um, just the, the technical pieces and the testing. Um, so making the right adjustments is another one, um, really understanding where you need to look at areas of resistance of the business, which I know you're going to get into a little bit more in your change management Q&A today. But the one I really want to dive into with you is getting proactive proofs of concept. So this is kind of a newer piece in which we've never really talked about in the change management world as proofs of concept. So they talk about um, pilot projects and turning particular business problems and making the benefits well orchestrated on a more micro level so that you're able to create this buy-in for a bigger technology implementation. Um, and the the actual case study they give here is a COVID-induced supply chain disruption and the business needs for better direction to make decisions in dealing with change cost structures as commodity prices soared, right? So we, you talked a lot about that in your content during the COVID-19 pandemic of how do you make sure you diversify your overall portfolio for supply chain in making sure that you have more than one place to get vendors in case you do see these surplus of price changes. Um, so what this case study referenced is they went to the business leaders and the subject matter experts and said, hey, we have this problem, what should we do? And they created this change and measured the results through just the supply chain area so they could use that as a proof of concept to look at other either best of breed systems or bigger core ERP systems. So I wanted to kind of get your feedback on kind of that micro proof of concept to showcase the ability of the organization to change, to get over any resistance that might be, you know, brewing for a bigger change in the organization to say, hey, we actually did this on a smaller micro level and these were our results, getting in front of any of those areas in which might birth fear or disruption for a bigger technology implementation. So what are your thoughts on that? I think it's it's smart and we've seen it work really well with with some clients that that have done that. I think it's it's a lot like um, you know, you think about like athletes and how they train for a big game or or a match. You know, they don't just go in and, and compete in that game. There's a lot of of scrimmages and practices and just perfecting plays and and learning the playbook and and practicing and and getting those small wins so that by the time they take the field or or start the match or the game they're ready to perform and it's the same thing with an organization but but organizations have that mindset that we're just going to you know do all the you know behind the scenes prep work and then and then just jump into game day and it's going to be fine but 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 I think having those incremental smaller wins to build that momentum can can build organizational confidence to where you start to feel confident that oh okay we can change yeah we had some pain points and hiccups and it was difficult but we got through it we got results here are the results now let's try something bigger 
and you have a lot more confidence when you do that than if you just jump straight into a massive change that you know you haven't been through a change of any significance in years or decades you know so i think especially if you're a slower moving or risk adverse organization that could be even more powerful for you in that case so i, I think it's a great idea Absolutely. It's so funny that you compare that to athletics because I was actually thinking this weekend, again, big nerd alert, um, when we were watching uh, one of the U.S. gymnastics classics with Simone Biles, who obviously is a very decorated, the, the most decorated gymnast of all time. And she talked about her comeback. She won the meet this weekend at 26 years old, which is, you know, elderly for a gym, gymnast athlete. Right. Um, but she talked about uh, the ways in which she looked at creating a mock meet. So they went in and did a complete mock proof of concept, right, to make sure that she was ready for the pressures that go into the specific meet. And that's um, a, a great way. I was actually thinking while we were watching it, that's a great way to go into making sure that you have the confidence to go through a technology implementation is really mapping out and mocking all of the different scenarios that might happen, um, whether that's, you know, the crowd booing you or the organization <laughs> booing you. Right. But making sure that you really understand what that looks like and those like those little wins that we talk about celebrating. And those proof of concepts in one area of the organization seem to be a real big confidence builder, and just an overall positive perception for the change within the organization. Yeah. And it also gets you, it forces you to focus on the little things that aren't so little, you know, you think about uh, gymnastics and I'm not a gymnast by any means. I know very little about gymnasts, but let me ask you a basic question. Do they use chalk on their hands? Like don't they use chalk yes. so they can yes. get a grip or whatever? Let's just say you forget to put and chalk grips. on or, and yeah. grips. Let's yeah. just say you forget or you don't apply chalk or grips uh, appropriately. You do everything else perfectly, but you didn't have chalk or the grips right on your hands. I mean, that's a small little thing, right? Just one detail out of mm -hmm. hundreds that it takes in that burst of performance you have to have. But that's a huge thing. Or that could be a catastrophic thing. So it's the same thing with going through an organizational change. Are you doing all the little things that are actually really big things, but you don't feel like they're little until you, know, you get to the, the moment of truth? Absolutely. Definitely. Um, all good things, but I think it's, you know, an overall refreshing take on the industry to look at IT leaders that are really focusing on the importance of understanding the perception of change, not just kind of that stick approach of this is what we're doing, get on board or, you know, jump ship right. type of thing. So that's a, a real refreshing way to look at that. And hopefully we can start to see those statistics we've been measuring or looking at and monitoring within the industry of how failures are going up, 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 up. Hopefully this can start to kind of buck that trend of yeah. making sure that things that, you know, are really catalysts to failures are addressed in that, that phase zero planning. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Well, let's move on to um, the how to answer four tough questions on the front lines of digital transformation um, as well. So these are four questions in which we, we uh, in this study, specifically talk about. And a lot of them are, are known, but there's a few that, as always, I kind of want to dig into here. Um, so what the, one of the um, areas in is how do you capture that tribal knowledge from vet, veteran frontline workers, which I know you talk a lot about, um, is making sure that not only do you capture it, but you understand how to create value for those, those high tenured employees. Um, another one is talking about um, how do you keep your digital strategy engaged within your employees? So not only capturing, capturing tribal knowledge, 
scaling technology, but integrate it in all of your strategies. And one strategy they talk about specifically in this article that's a really important key aspect of digital transformation is how do you use your digital solutions and training support to actually recruit top talent, which is something we, we you know, have talked about at kind of a high level, but never talked about the importance of modernization of technologies or IT structures to actually at attract top talent to your organization as a recruiting tool. So I thought that was a really interesting overall tactic in looking at the front lines is how do you create that user experience that actually attracts talent to your organization through a digital transformation? So I wanted to get your take on that um, as it's not a way that we've really ever kind of looked at digital transformation. Usually it's about operational efficiencies, ROI, maximizing value of technology internally, but not onto the outside looking in. How do you actually use it as a recruitment tool, which I think is an interesting perspective. Yeah, it is. And it, it actually uh, it reminds me of a dynamic that we see often with our clients that's sort of the opposite of what you're saying, which is the undermining that old outdated technology the way that old outdated technologies can undermine your recruiting abilities or your user experience so a lot of times we have clients who are still believe it or not using like mainframe based systems that are green screen systems and you get young kids out of college that it's like a foreign language they have no idea what is going on like what do you mean there's no there's no gui or there's no you know i have to i have to memorize a transaction code and enter that i mean it just doesn't make sense to to someone and it, nor should it, by the way, I mean, that technology is so outdated, but it was so common 25 years ago or 30 years ago where, you know, you have a, a four digit transaction code you'd have to memorize to get to the screen you need to be able to do whatever it is you're going to do. And, you know, a kid's not going to understand that and, and nor would you or I probably, I would argue, um, just because it's so old, but I think that's sort of the, the, ne the negative or the, 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 the negative based uh, consequence of having an old outdated system. But I think if you do have better tools and, and easier ways to do people's job, that, that can be a recruiting tool. I haven't seen, I have not seen an organization do that effectively, but I, there's no reason why they shouldn't be or and why more organizations shouldn't be. Cause I think that can be a, a selling point, especially, you know, if you're trying to attract younger talent, um, especially, I think that's where to, you know, better technological tools is going to help with younger talent, especially. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so should that be a consideration in your phase zero planning? We don't have it on our checklist, but I'm feeling like maybe we should add it. We probably should because what it does is it, I mean, it, it forces you to think about, forget recruiting for a second. I know that's the point of your question, but but even more fundamentally than that is looking at your existing employees and making their lives better. You know, how do you make their lives better and easier and more enjoyable and less um, frustrating. And if you can do that, then it's going to be easier to recruit back to your question. So I think, you know, looking at a digital transformation in general about employee experience, I, I think we talk a lot about customer experience and that's something we focus on as consultants, but we and, and our clients probably don't focus enough. And the industry, I would argue, doesn't focus enough on employee experience, which um, certainly if you're doing an HR or an HCM implementation, I think that's maybe the exception, but Aside from HR and HCM implementations, if you're talking about an ERP implementation or supply chain management implementation, you're right. Too often, we're just focused on efficiency gains and um, productivity gains and stuff that's important and might indirectly help the, the employee experience, but we don't 
directly focus on not just the customer experience, but the internal customer or the employee experience. I think that's just as important. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, I, I'd be interested to kind of turn to our audience um, to kind of talk through, is this something that you feel as though should be a main consideration in digital transformation when it comes to employee experience, recruitment tools? And then also question B, is there anything else you would add to our phase zero checklist as I shamelessly crowdsource additional thought leadership, which I love to do. Um, so if you haven't seen our phase zero checklist, you can actually um, click the link wherever you're getting this um, this episode today. And it, it is a free download and it's a great checklist to kind of go through just to make sure that you're ready for your digital transformation. We call it phase zero planning, which is arguably one of the most important pieces to ensure that you're actually ready and optimized to go through that transformation. So would love to hear from our audience here in the comments um, as well. And you can also recommend hot topics that you'd like us to discuss in the future, if that's something that you're interested in. But um, great insights. Some two unique questions, I feel like, today in our, our hot topic um, segment. So it was exciting to get that insight, Eric. So thanks for sharing it with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for queuing up the, the hot topics. That was, that's great stuff. And um, look forward to chatting through more of that uh, in future episodes as well. Well, good. Well, we're going to shift gears a bit and we're going to talk about change management here in a moment. We're going to do a, our next segment focused on what is organizational change management and how does it apply or can it be applied to digital transformation? Uh, we're going to dive into that, take a bunch of audience questions, uh, share a couple slides or visual aids for change management or related to change management. We'll do that next. And then later in the show, uh, Kyler is going to share with us her favorite excerpt from my new book called The Final Countdown, which you can learn more about that book at thefinalcountdown.com. Um, the uh, book that will be released on August 25th on Amazon, you can buy it digitally or you can buy hard copies of it on Amazon beginning August 25th. So be sure to uh, check out thefinalcountdown.com and we're going to get to an excerpt from that book later in the show. So stick around. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 133. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. You can also just go to transformationgroundcontrol.com to find uh, whatever platform you want to watch or listen to the show on new episodes every Wednesday. So we thought it'd be great to have a conversation about change management. We had uh, our change management episode, which uh, was released a few weeks ago. Um, that was sort of pulling in the best interviews from uh, the world of change management. Great episode, by the way, if you haven't checked that out, go back and look for the change management episode. It was probably, I should probably know or have it in front of me, but I think it was probably six or eight weeks ago we did that episode. 
Um, you can go back and watch that. It's a great one. But we thought we'd do more of a deep dive discussion here with the audience and get into really the basic fundamentals of what change management is and how it can be applied to digital transformation. So we thought we'd uh, have that conversation here today. So with that all being said, let's jump into the conversation. So to get started, where what I thought I'd do just to sort of set the context here today is um, I do have a couple of slides I'm going to share uh, kind of from my hip pocket, if you will. I'm not going to go through a formal presentation per se, but I do have a couple of visuals that I want to pop up on the screen to really just set the context for the discussion. And I've got some excess materials that I can pull from depending on where the conversation um, goes here today. But one of the things I wanted to start with is to before we get into what change management is, maybe back up a little bit and talk about why change management is important, because I think that's an important thing to talk about. Because a lot of times when when we work with clients, one of the dynamics we see is that we deal with a lot of executives and leaders within organizations who have this assumption that change, change management's important, but it's more important to other organizations. For their own organizations, oftentimes executives and leaders have this false assumption that change isn't going to be that difficult because our, our team is ready for change. We hear this all the time from, from our client base. Um, our team is ready for change. Change is difficult for other organizations, but for us, it's not going to be difficult because our processes are so broken and people recognize the need for change. Our systems are super outdated and people are frustrated with the technology and they're ready for change. And so they, it, while that statement, those statements may be true, what ends up happening oftentimes is organizations falsely believe that because people are quote unquote ready for change, or they think they're ready for change, that the change management itself is going to be easy and it's going to be easier than most other organizations. And one thing I want to do is, and this is a, a good visual that I want to pop up here on the screen just to show why that's not true and what some of the things are to think about as it relates to change management and, and really the, the need for change is this concept here that I'm putting in front of you is some of these common challenges that, that organizations have from a people perspective is that there's, there's two different types of resistance to change or change management challenges. There's what I would call the intentional resistance to change. And this is where, you know, you find people on your team that are flat out trying to sabotage the project. They don't want the change. They don't believe in the change. They're not bought in at all. They don't like the idea of change. And therefore, they're going to push back and resist in their own way, whatever that manifests, manifests itself in. And that's, quite frankly, is pretty rare. You don't see a lot of that in most organizations. You don't have you know, large pockets of people that are flat out intentionally resisting change. You have some of it. I mean, every organization has a little bit of that, but usually it's manageable and organizations can overcome that. What I would say this is the most dangerous, the most difficult change to navigate is the more common and the more subtle type of resistance to change, which is essentially the other three buckets that you see on your screen here, the, the unintentional resistance, the misunderstanding, misalignment. Those are the three real root causes of significant resistance to change. And unintentional resistance is oftentimes hard to see because on the surface, people want change typically when you're going through an organization. Um, but when you start to peel back the onion and you start to get into the details of what change means and how it's going to manifest itself within your organization and how it's going to impact individuals within your organization, that's where people start to push back or they start to panic a little bit. They, they start to have fear, uncertainty, and doubt. 
Um, they start to question the types of changes. They start to find problems or potential issues or perceived issues with the types of changes that are being rolled out to the organization. And as you get into those details, as the transformation progresses, that's where the biggest source of resistance comes from. And usually leaders don't see that coming. It's, it's almost like the, the, uh, the iceberg theory. Um, they see a tip of an iceberg. They see, they might see a tiny little bit of resistance to change in that unintentional, or I'm sorry, in that intentional resistance that I talked about, but they don't see all the stuff below the surface, the, the, the real, you know, base of the iceberg. They don't see that. Um, because on the surface, the tip of the iceberg, they see people that want change, they're on board, they're excited about it, they recognize the need for change. But then as the project progresses, that's where the, the lower hidden parts of the iceberg reveal themselves. And so that unintentional resistance is what organizations really have to, to be careful of. And then there's other two other types of uh, sources of people challenges that lead to resistance typically, which somewhat overlaps with unintentional resistance, but is worth calling out separately here which is misunderstanding, misunder, misalignment. So if, if employees don't understand and have clear direction and clear understanding of what their jobs are going to look like in the future and what business processes are going to look like in the future, they just don't understand because no one's communicated that to them or it hasn't been shared with them, that misunderstanding will typically lead to resistance to change. And same with misalignment. If, if an organization is not on the same page, if they're not rowing in the same direction and headed in the same direction, that misalignment creates these sort of headwinds that will make change management very difficult, if, if not impossible. And so the key is how do we get our team aligned and make sure that we're all on the same page, especially at the leadership level. It starts with the leadership, but then it, it sort of trickles down through the organization as well. So very important to, to address that as well. So this visual right here is meant to show that there's different types of resistance to change and the most important sources and the most significant sources of resistance to change are those that are unintentional. And so I think that's, that's important to point out because a, a lot of leaders misunderstand that. And, and I think that's something that if you're not a leader or you are trying to manage expectations of your leadership team, um, it's that's a useful concept to share with them because I think a lot of them are overly optimistic and assume the best when I don't want to say you should be assuming the worst, but you should assume that there's a lot underneath the surface of that iceberg that you don't see yet until you do a more formalized organizational assessment, uh, organizational readiness assessment, which is something we can get to here uh, as we continue the conversation here today. So that being said, I guess that's a long way of saying change management is really important. And it's probably more important than most teams and organizations fully understand. And unfortunately, most organizations don't fully realize or understand how important change management is and how difficult resistance to change is and how widespread resistance to change is until they get into the project and they start going down the path of their transformation and they get deep into the testing process and even into training. And then they realize, wow, people are really resisting this change. There's a lot of pushback. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of chaos. And if that's the moment when you realize that change management is going to be important, we should probably invest some time in change management. It's too late. I mean, you, you can try to mitigate as much as you can, but you've waited too long and you should have started change management a lot sooner. Um, unfortunately, that's where a lot of organizations are and they hire us sort of midstream to try and correct and remediate some of that. It can be done and it's better than just ignoring it and assuming that it'll just go away because it won't. But if you're early enough in the process where you can affect that focus and affect that uh, perception around change management, that's certainly something that's going to be uh, super beneficial. We're here chatting about what is 
change management and how does it relate to digital transformation. We've got a lot more to cover, so stick around. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. When fears are big, that should be small. Who can tell what magic spells we'll be Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 133. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday by going to transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also search for this podcast on all the major audio podcast platforms, as well as YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. So we're here having a conversation about what is organizational change management? How does it relate to digital transformation? Let's jump back into the conversation. Here's a question from Ryan on LinkedIn that I think is a good one. It's a good sort of intro question or a backdrop setting question here, which is how do you resist or how do you address resistance to change among employees or team members? It's a great question and something we'll, we want to get into and unpack here quite a bit here today. And there's a lot you can do. I mean, I, I started to mention that one of the first things you can do is, is an organizational assessment. And um, what I want to uh, share here real quickly is, is just a real quick slide that sort of visualizes what this organizational assessment is. But generally speaking, what, what you want to do, and I'll share my screen here real quickly again. Um, generally, what you want to do is, first of all, understand and, and really dig into getting into the details or, or digging under the surface of what the potential sources of resistance might be. So I mentioned before, there's a couple different buckets. You have these sort of the intentional resistance, which is a lot easier to spot. And quite frankly, it's a lot, I don't want to say it's healthier, but it's it's a lot easier in that even though it's blatant, even though it's very powerful, at least you see it and you can attack it and you can address it when it's when it's blatant intentional resistance. The unintentional resistance is a lot harder because you don't oftentimes you don't see it coming. You don't know that people are going to resist it because on the surface, again, they want change, they support it, they're good employees and team members, they want what's best for the company, they want what's best for the team. But as you get through a project and you start digging into it and people start to realize that, wow, my, you know, my business processes are really going to change or even more important, more recently with some of the advances in technology, like artificial intelligence and machine learning and some of these technologies that are tectonic shifts in the way businesses operate in terms of efficiency gains or potential efficiency gains, what people start to question then is, wow, am I important to this organization? Am I going to be important to this organization anymore now that we're bringing in AI to do, you know, X percent of my job? Um, so that's, that's an important thing to point out is that, you know, it's when you get into the details and you start to see the personal impact that um, these changes have, that's when people start to start to really push back. And one of the best ways to identify or, or to mitigate the risk or mitigate this resistance to change is, first of all, to understand and draw to the surface what the sources are and where that resistance is coming from. 
And that's where this organizational change readiness survey and analysis comes into play. And this is something we do for our clients all the time as, as sort of a first step to effective change management. And this is where we use quantitative surveys and qualitative focus groups within the organization to capture information around the culture of the organization, um, past experiences with changes, um, you know, just the, the maturity levels of the organization, the general operational efficiencies and the processes, and just really understanding the lay of the land of, of uh, really benchmarking the organization as a whole to other organizations we've worked with but also even just benchmarking different departments or different locations within the same organizations to, to one another to see how they compare to one another and to see where we think the pockets of resistance might percolate. And so if we can do that and we can really dig in and understand and predict where resistance to change is likely to come from, then we can be more proactive in, in creating that, that change strategy and plan. And so to answer Ryan's question about how do you address all this stuff, a lot of it depends on what you find in this organizational assessment. So just to give you a couple examples, if you go through this organizational assessment, and let's just say that you, you come to the conclusion that, you're, that um, you know, communication between different departments is broken. It, it's just not a collaborative organization. Departments generally don't talk to one another. There's breakdowns, data silos, that sort of thing. I think a lot of you could probably relate to that because a lot of organizations have that problem. If that's a key challenge or problem within an organization, one of the things we can expect is that the fact that now you're deploying, let's say, an enterprise-wide technology that is designed to break down some of those barriers and to create single sources of the truth and to get rid of some of those data silos to create more end-to-end -end integrated business processes, that all is good stuff, right? That will all deliver business value at the end of the day to the organization if we deploy it right. But in the meantime, people are going to struggle with that because we know right now they're operating in silos and they've got their own myopic view of the world. Now we're asking them to look at end-to-end -end business processes and to break down some of those silos. And again, getting back to the point of intentional versus unintentional resistance, on the surface, most people probably won't push back on that concept. They'll agree that that makes sense. That's good for the business. That's good for us as a team, et cetera. But when you start digging into the details of what that means and how the technology is going to change your job and how now other people are affecting or affected by your own day-to-day -day jobs, that just creates anxiety. It creates, it creates uncertainty as to, as to what that looks like. Now that we have, for example, now that we have end-to-end -end integrated processes and those data silos are gone, that sort of, that could create a perception or that could create a feeling for me personally, let's just say I'm part of the change that could create a feeling of, hey, my job is suddenly less important because now we've got automation of processes, we've got integrated processes, the data silos are gone. All that stuff that I had in my head with tribal knowledge and all the heroics I used to do my job before, suddenly that stuff isn't as important anymore because we've got technology now to do our jobs or to help us with our jobs more effectively. Again, probably we probably recognize that's best for the team, best for the organization, but for us personally, there's some questions around what that means to us individually and that's where people get hung up. That's where suddenly I'm not as excited about this change as I was when we were talking about it in theory. Now that you're telling me that the process is going to change that much and, and things are going to um, be disrupted in that way, uh, in the short term especially, suddenly I'm not quite as excited about that and I might not support the change as much. Here's a, uh, I want to show you a visual graphic here that sort of summarizes or, or illustrates this point a little bit more. But when you 
when you think about change management and I'll let you kind of read the, the cartoon here and the bullets that go along with it. And I'll give some backdrop here. Hopefully you think it's as funny as I do. Um, but this is a, a cartoon. One of our team members uh, created a couple of years ago um, that sort of illustrates the point that when, when we have ownership and pride in our jobs, and a lot of you can probably relate to this people that have been with the team for years, if not decades, they've built immense amounts of tribal knowledge. They've perfected and fine-tuned business processes for better or for worse, even if they can be improved, even if they're not ideal, they themselves have taken pride in developing those processes with limited tools, limited support perhaps. And there's a lot of pride that goes with that. And so organizations and individuals within organizations have that sort of pride in what they've created. And when we come in as consultants, or if you come in as a leader or a digital transformation project team member, and we say, hey, we're going to change that process because it's broken and we're going to completely change it. We're going to automate it. We're going to put in technology and tools and all that stuff. Suddenly, again, we intuitively understand it's best for the, it's probably best for the organization and best for the team, but we do start to question, what does that mean for me now? I, I created this elaborate spreadsheet to manage my part of the business. And I spend 80% of my day and 80% of my job is focused on that spreadsheet and on this elaborate process and tool set that I've built over, let's say, 20 years. Well, that's, that's a threat that creates fear and anxiety, fear, uncertainty and doubt. And so we've got to figure out how do we, how do we address that? How do we create clarity of just because your spreadsheet is going away and becoming automated doesn't mean that you're not important to this organization and just because that spreadsheet is going away doesn't mean your job's going away. Your job's going to change, but now let's define what it looks like and let's create that vision of what your job looks like so that that person now suddenly gets excited about it again instead of being worried about the unknown. And too often, project teams and organizations create a huge amount of uncertainty by not clarifying and not understanding themselves what the changes are going to entail. So in other words, they say, we're going to put in technology to automate a business process we're going to get rid of that spreadsheet that you've been managing for 20 years to, to do your part of the business. And don't worry, your job's going to be a lot easier now. Now that you won't have to worry about that spreadsheet. Well, that sounds good in theory, but then I, when I really start to think about it, I think, well, what am I going to do? Like, what's my job going to look like? What am I going to do day to day? And if that's an, a question I don't have a good answer to, or that no one else in the organization has a good answer to, you can rest assured, I'm not going to support the change. I'm not excited anymore. Now I'm probably at best neutral. Uh, best case scenario, but more likely I'm probably now I'm a resistor. I'm going to resist this change. I want change for everyone else, but I don't want my world to be disrupted in, in a negative way. And so that's the way we have to really understand sort of the psychology of how organizations operate and how people think, because that's, that's an important part of it. So that's the key change readiness uncovers some of these sources of resistance. Once you've done the change readiness, then you can get a little bit more prescriptive about what the different types of, of uh, changes or change management um, tactics can be used to uh, address those things. So here's a, uh, an interesting comment from Adnan on, or Adnan on LinkedIn. I think managers are unable to see the hidden part of the iceberg, but leaders do. Uh, it's a great point. Interesting comment. So in other words, Maybe mid-level managers don't typically see the hidden part of the iceberg, but leaders do. I think the good leaders do, but I would also caveat or maybe add to what you're saying that there are leaders that don't understand the ice, the hidden part of the iceberg. I, on the flip side, I've known a lot of mid-level managers that actually do understand the hidden part of the iceberg because they're closer to the front line people that actually 
are going to be affected or, or have that sort of resistance to change. So I, I sort of agree with you, but I think it, it depends on the organization. But but good leaders do see it. I mean, good leaders will look underneath the surface of in the tip of the iceberg. I think they're really dangerous. I don't want to say they're dangerous leaders, but the dangerous behavior of leaders is to assume that I see the tip of the iceberg and I assume that's the entire iceberg. And it happens a lot. I mean, a lot of times leaders just don't understand that this is not a technology initiative and that by trying to make the business more efficient, more effective, more scalable, generating more revenue, all the positive things they're trying to do, they have to understand that there is short-term negative perceived consequences to that and they have to address that. And they can't assume that the entire organization is going to think like them, which is to lead the organization and, and do what's best for the organization. They have their own self-interest to protect too. And that self-interest and that self, um, that individual fear, uncertainty, and doubt is very, very powerful, especially when you multiply it by however many employees you have. So great, great point and great question there. Another interesting comment here is from Sinem from LinkedIn. Uh, technology plays a pivotal role in this process. Take into account the perspective of the employee to enhance the overall experience. So totally agree. Technology is important, but you also want to take into account uh, the perspective of, of the employee um, and, and really, you know, what is that employee experience and what is that employee impact? What is the change impact to each major work group in the organization and each individual in the organization so that we can create a communications and change management plan that, that addresses those specific needs and concerns? We're here chatting about what is change management and how does it relate to digital transformation? We've got a lot more to cover, so stick around. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 133. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday by going to transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also search for this podcast on all the major audio podcast platforms, as well as YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. So we're here having a conversation about what is organizational change management? How does it relate to digital transformation? Let's jump back into the conversation. Here's a question from Gassan on LinkedIn. A leadership may be in, but they need to be committed throughout the digital transformation journey and beyond. And that's a great point because um, on the surface, most leaders we work with are committed. They're, they're in, they're, they support the project. But what they don't do is maintain that high level of commitment or that, that uh, visible level of commitment 
throughout the entire project. What ends up happening is they sort of delegate the project to a project team. They set the tone and the vision for the project, which is very important, but then they sort of back off and let the project team manage the whole thing. And they need to do that to some degree. Don't get me wrong. They have to delegate the, you know, the CFO or the CIO or the COO of the company cannot be the project manager that's in, you know, all the details uh, of a project. But what they can do is make sure that they're getting, um, support and buy-in from the rest of the of the leadership so making sure that the leadership team is actively involved in making major decisions around what our business is going to look like in the future and what we want to be when we grow up and how technology that we're deploying right now is going to help us get there uh, what you can't do is assume that the project team is just going to figure it out they're going to go figure out how to design these new business processes and put in the new technology and change people's jobs and all that stuff there has to be some sort of project governance there and sign-off process where Yes, the project team might come forth and say, hey, this is what we see as a potential future state operating model to support what the goals and objectives of the organization are. But it really needs to be the leadership team that ultimately blesses that or signs off on it or changes it and sort of gets their fingerprints on that future state design so that everyone's on the same page and that so the project team is delivering what's expected from the rest of the organization. What you can't do is say, we want to put in new technology to make us more efficient, more scalable generate more revenue, make our jobs easier, et cetera, et cetera. Now, project team, let's go get that done. You can't just stop there. You have to be involved and you have to do some of the dirty work and rolling up your sleeves of uh, really understanding and defining what those future processes are going to be, how it's going to change people's jobs, how you might you know, standardize processes, how you might uh, consolidate parts of the organization, that sort of thing. So you know, I'll give you a good example a lot of clients we work with are private equity owned companies. And so they're mid-sized, high growth companies. They've got a lot of private equity money behind them. They go out and they buy a bunch of companies to fuel their growth, both organically and through mergers and acquisitions. Then someone decides, hey, we bought all these companies now. Um, we're highly inefficient though, because we're fragmented, we're siloed, we're acting like a bunch of different companies, which we essentially are because we just went and bought a bunch of different companies. So now let's start acting like one company. Let's have common business processes, common tool set. Um, let's consolidate the organization. So we, we sort of have, you know, less redundancy throughout the organization. All that stuff sounds great. But those are really big changes. I mean, those are massive changes you're talking there as far as taking, let's say, five different accounting departments now and consolidating into one accounting department that supports the entire organization. Or taking a end-to-end -end supply chain process that, is replicated five different ways throughout the organization because you have five different companies that were acquired. Now you're trying to come up with one way of running your supply chain or at least one common way of running it. Those are massive changes that a project team is not going to be able to do on their own, not because they're incapable or incompetent, but because it has to be the leaders that set the tone and the level the expectation and the definition of what those processes and organizational changes are going to look like. If leaders don't do that, what ends up happening is the project team will follow the path of least resistance. And the path of least resistance is to not change, to not standardize processes, to not consolidate functions, to not make massive major changes, tectonic shifts to the business. That is the path of least resistance because it's a lot easier just to stay put and, and um, the known of the status quo is very powerful. The unknown of future state processes that we don't understand that's something we can't get behind. I mean, it's just, how do you, how do you support something you don't understand? And so that's the, way, that's the reason why leaders have to be the ones to set that tone and, and be actively involved in setting that blueprint for what the future 
organization is going to look like. But too often what we do as leaders is we set that really high level tone and vision. We put together a project team. We hire a big system integrator to come in and help implement technology and we hand it off to them. And again, if you do that, you can rest assured you're not going to get the business value you expected and you can rest assured you're going to get a lot of resistance to change because the tone hasn't been set from the top and the top hasn't been nearly active enough in the definition of the, of the business processes. Here's an interesting uh, comment that is, is will, I think, generate a good discussion here. This is from... Um, Seen him again on LinkedIn. Streamlining the number of tools and apps can alleviate resistance. An all-in-one digital platform would be the ideal, reducing the learning curve and fostering a collaborative workplace culture. Simplifying processes leads to smoother transitions. So I agree it can, but what I'll say to that is that um, just the fact that you're putting in a single tool an all-in-one platform, something that's easier to learn that I would agree with you long-term that yes, that is true. You will get better adoption. It's a less of a learning curve if you have one single integrated system, but you look at where you are today and let's just say you have a hundred different systems to go from a hundred different systems to one long-term again, that will probably benefit in that could benefit an organization immensely long-term In the short-term though, you have to deal with the disruption of the fact that you're taking away 99 or maybe all 100 of your systems and consolidating into one. So the question then is how do you, how do you mitigate that risk? It's, it's not enough to say that long-term it's going to be a benefit and therefore people will adapt to it because they won't necessarily in 10 years from now. Yes. Maybe as you hire new people and you bring them on board, you've got those processes and technologies well-established and in place, then yes, they're probably going to reap the benefits that you talk about there. But in the short term, there could be actually a potential uh, negative benefit, which is, in other words, you're going to be less productive because you're you're shifting to one system. You've got these change management issues we talked about. There could be operational disruption uh, at the time of your go live, meaning because of some of this resistance to change and some of these lack of some of this lack of clarity around processes and roles and responsibilities, that can actually lead to lost business value at the time of go live, and that's why so many implementations or digital transformations fail is because organizations don't navigate that stuff very well. And so I agree with your long terms, your statement longer term, but I think the question is how do we bridge that gap between where we are today to that future state utopia that ultimately will be more effective and uh, adaptable for the organization. A lot more people dropped in the chat here, by the way, where they're from. We've got additional people from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Chicago, Illinois, Delhi, India, um, Germany, Vietnam, another one from Germany, um, Canton, Ohio, et cetera. So thank you, everyone, for, for joining here today. And thank you for all the great questions here. There's a ton here that I'm trying to keep up with, so thank you. Um, here's another uh, interesting point from Michelle on LinkedIn. Michelle says, mid-level managers have to manage up and down and have a lot on their plate. I think they understand the iceberg better. That being said, they will also be the ones to sink the project. Um, they could be the ones to sink the project for sure. Um, I, I, I think you're onto something here with the mid-level managers because mid-level managers are really key um, to organizational success during digital transformation. Of course, leaders, you know, sort of the top executive leaders, they are too. Um, they're the ones that have to set the overall tone and vision for the organization and have that clear vision and, and, you know, have that, um, what do you want to call it? The, the, the general direction 
and clarity of where the organization is headed. But it's really the mid-level managers that without them, none of that vision matters. You know, the, the executives can define all this future state stuff all they want. But if you don't get your mid-level managers on board involved in that process and committed to those changes, it's not going to happen because the people below them are the ones that are going to follow their lead more so than even the, the overall leaders of the organization. So mid-level managers are really key to, to making or breaking the project. And oftentimes, you know, leadership teams or, or uh, digital transformation project teams oftentimes forget about them or, or neglect mid-level managers um, and sort of skip past it. So you, you really have to make sure that, um, you know, you work your way down the organization, starting with the top, making sure they're aligned and have clear vision and clarity on what they want. Then you work down to mid-level managers and then certainly your, your frontline employees, uh, you, you want to get them aligned as well at that point. So great point and in, in, uh, comment there. There's a chat going on here about different types of change management strategies and tactics uh, over on the LinkedIn feed. But one of the things I'll pull out from that back and forth uh, from Kyler on LinkedIn, um, she says, Dan, well said, we've seen more of a cookie cutter change management approach from vendors, which often fails. And I would agree with that. Software vendors typically have a, a very cookie cutter approach to change, which we all want repeatable processes and proven best practices and that sort of thing. But change management is something that's highly prescriptive. I mean, it needs, or it should be to be effective. You need to be highly prescriptive as to what it is that you need to do to affect change within your specific organization. And not only that, but within specific parts of your organization, you're going to have different strategies and tactics you deploy throughout the organization based on what you find in your organizational assessment along the way, as well as what you see and how the organization evolves and reacts to change as you're going through a digital transformation. So cookie cutter approaches, you have to be really careful of the big software vendors and the big system integrators are notorious for coming in and saying, yep, yeah, we've got a whole change management strategy and plan that'll solve all these problems. And really what it is, is, is software technology training. Um, and that's great, but you're, you're skipping past all the really important foundational stuff and just getting down to the brass tacks, which we'd all love to do, right? We'd all love just to get to the end point and just get on with it. But unfortunately, we can't do that if we want to be effective. We have to set the groundwork for leadership alignment and clarity and definition of future state operating models and work our way down through the mid-level managers and then eventually, then yes, you're getting to the end user training to show people how to use the technology to do all these new processes and new organizational roles and responsibilities that we've already worked through as part of our change management process. What, what One dynamic that happens a lot that you have to be careful of is when you have this training focused strategy for change management, in other words, you focus on end user training and adoption, but you don't do, I'll call it real change management. Um, even though training and adoption is part of real change management, it's only one dimension of real change management. But when you just focus on training and adoption, or that's sort of the primary focus of your change strategy, what ends up happening is you get to the training of your, your end users where you're training people in mass. And this is shortly before go live and in a classroom setting or in a user adoption and in a training sort of a setting, you start to get people that start freaking out for lack of a better word. That's a technical term that I, I like to use. Uh, the organization freaks out, the frontline employees freak out because now they see that this is a massive change. This is a lot different than the way we do things today. And back to the spreadsheet example, that spreadsheet, that elaborate spreadsheet that I've been using for 20 years to do my job. And I created that spreadsheet, by the way, you're telling me now that's going away. And now I've got to use technology to do that job. Or now even worse in the short term for me personally, 
you're telling me the technology is going to automate a big part of my job. Well, what in the world does that mean? I mean, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my value to the organization? And why would I get behind this when I'm, I'm really, you're asking me to support something that's going to hurt me in the short term. This is a, I'm speaking as someone who perceives it that way, of course. So that's the sort of dynamic you have to work through uh, because that you, you don't want that to happen in a training pre go live environment where you're, 30 days or whatever, 60 days away from go live, you go do some end user training and people start freaking out. That freak out will happen. It should happen. It needs to happen, but that should have happened months ago, early in the process that should have happened to where by the time you get to training, it's more of a formality of, yeah, yeah, we get it. We understand that my spreadsheet's going away. My job's going to change. I, I'm, I'm finally comfortable with all that. Now just show me how I'm going to do it in the new technology. And that's what training should be focused on. But too often, back to Kyler's question, too often the vendors, big system integrators are really notorious for this. They say, we're going to spend all this time and effort and money on training on an elaborate training program, but that training program backfires, not because the training isn't good, but because you haven't done all the foundational stuff early in the process to get people comfortable with the change and to let them freak out. You have to let the organization freak out because they will. So it's your choice as to when they freak out. Are they going to freak out right as you're ready to go live and pull the trigger on new technology and you're just days or weeks away from going live. Or are you going to do it months in advance? So you have time to work through it and address it before, before go live. And my strong suggestion would be the latter, which is do it sooner because a, it's going to make your life a lot easier, but B it's going to minimize the um, likelihood of having a material operational disruption at the time you go live. And that's sort of a dark side of digital transformation that we don't talk about much in this industry, but we need to, which is operational disruption is the biggest cost of digital transformation, yet we rarely quantify it, if ever. And operational disruption is can't ship product, can't close the books, can't run payroll. Major show-stopping sorts of things that we didn't anticipate and ends up happening to our organization because we didn't do change management right, among other things. It's not the only thing that can cause that dynamic, but change management is typically one of the leading culprits of why a project does or doesn't create operational disruption at the time of go live. Here's a difficult question. I'll try to answer it anyway. Uh, it's from uh, Devendra on LinkedIn. Devendra says, how should ERP software be planned to help make a perfect implementation for change management? What are the top three most important things according to you? So let me try and take a stab at you know, three of the things that I think are most important from a change management perspective during an ERP software implementation or any sort of technology initiative or digital transformation. I'd say in no particular order, but more maybe sequential order would be uh, the change readiness assessment. That's what we talked about earlier in this discussion around um, assessing qualitatively and quantitatively the, the organization and understanding where those pockets of resistance lie and uncovering the, the base of the iceberg, getting below the tip of the iceberg to understand what the sources of resistance are, what the pockets of resistance are within the organization and how severe those sources of resistance are. So that's the first thing is that organizational assessment, that, that understanding of how ready we are for change. And it's not really a question of if there's going to be change management resistance, but where is the change management and how severe is it and what are we going to do about it? So I think that's an important thing to frame or maybe change in your way of thinking, in, instead of asking yourselves, will our organization resist change? You have to assume that yes, they will, because they will. I've yet to see an organization or client after over, th over a thousand digital transformations I've been involved with over 25 years um, at varying levels. It, I've yet to see an organization that did not struggle with change. And I've yet to see an organization that did not 
after the fact tell me change was a lot harder than they thought it would be. And so you have to sort of trust that or, or just proactively recognize that and also recognize that, you know, what are the consequences of being wrong uh, on that? You know, the, the consequences are a lot greater that you over, you know, let's just say you're worried about over committing resources to change management. Well, the risk of that is in the, in the uh, consequences of that, if you're, if that is true, which I strongly suggest it is never true, but let's just say perhaps you're worried about over committing resources to change management. That's a smaller price to pay than doing the other extreme or going too far the other way of not investing enough in change management. Those consequences are much more severe. So you have to look at it from a sort of a risk adjusted uh, perspective. So that's what that, that organizational readiness piece can do. It can help you identify where the resistance is. That's one thing. The second thing that say is an important change management strategy and tactic or tool is um, fully understanding your, your, your change impact. So understanding department by department, location by location, who's impacted, how are they impacted, um, how are their jobs, or, or sort of what is the gap analysis between current state and future state for different people throughout the organization? Because you have to be able to articulate to people what their jobs look like. And again, the dynamic that you have to watch is that so many project teams, software vendors, system integrators, implementing technical consultants they all tend to look at things more focused on the future state. And they say, okay, we're just going to deploy technology that does A, B, and C. And that's great. You, you have to do that. But organizationally, from a change management perspective, we have to understand the current state and how the current state is changing and how specifically the future state is going to look for each individual within the organization so that we can paint that vision for them so that we can let them freak out. Back to my technical term, they can freak out as soon as possible in the process and we can address that, that resistance to change. So that change impact, I'd say, is a second. Um, and then I'd say a third, um, if I were to pick my top three most important uh, change management strategies or tactics, a third would be the organizational design, You know, clearly defining how reporting relationships are going to look and also how job roles and responsibilities are going to look. So in other words, not just looking at a process, a business process or workflow and understanding the change impact, but also defining what the job itself is going to look like. And they're somewhat related, but I think it's worth calling out organizational design as another one. And, and I also put that in my top three because it's it's uh, probably, you know, it, I can make a strong case that it's the, the, the most important change management tactic that is also the most overlooked in terms of organizational design. So that those would be my sort of knee-jerk reaction to what the top three things are, the top three most important things are uh, for change management. We're here chatting about what is change management and how does it relate to digital transformation. We've got a lot more to cover, so stick around. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com.
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 133. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday by going to transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also search for this podcast on all the major audio podcast platforms, as well as YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. So we're here having a conversation about what is organizational change management? How does it relate to digital transformation? Let's jump back into the conversation. Here's an interesting comment framed in a really good way that might be better than the way I've been saying it so far here today. This is from Anna Paula on LinkedIn. Anna Paula says, potential resisting factor is also related to how WIFM is addressed. WIFM stands for what's in it for me. So in other words, uh, a potential resisting factor is related to what's in it for me. So that's a great way to put it. And you do have to think or empathize and put yourself in the shoes of employees and understand how they think. And, you know, I, I don't mean this in a judgmental way, but individuals are self-serving no matter how altruistic or good you think you are. And you may be, you still are going to do what's in your best self-interest to some degree, some people more than others, of course, but all of us, myself included. And I would, I would suggest that all of us listening here today are, are self-serving humans. That's just uh, I don't know if it's strength or weakness, a flaw or a whatever you want to call it, but it's just the reality. So we have to we have to accept that and figure out how do we help people understand what's in it for them. And the beauty of this is that most of the time when we go through change management or when we go through digital transformation, any sort of change initiative, most of the time for most of the organization, there is a net positive what's in it for me or there will be. Um, the problem is we don't clearly articulate that. We say it's, you know, I'll give you an example. We'll say things like, well, Eric, you should be on board with this because it's going to help you do your job better. You're going to be more effective. It's going to be easier. You're not going to have to manage multiple spreadsheets. You're not going to have to make phone calls and send emails to get data that should just be right in front of you on your computer. Um, or, you know, you're not going to have to dig into the system to get pieces of information that should just be on a dashboard you log, in, log into or get a push notification alert every day or whatever. Um, those are all positive things and those sound good. Like, yeah, that sounds great. That, that does help me, but that's more of a long-term utopia future state. The problem I'm going to have in the what's in it for me focus is what about from here to there, when we get from point A to point B, there's this sort of unknown chasm there of, yes, it might take us a couple of years to get to this point where I've got this utopia future state, but in the meantime, I'm going to lose my spreadsheet. You're going to change my job. You're, you're telling me you're going to automate part of my job. I spend half my time looking for that data. I don't like doing it, but I spend half my time doing it. So now you're telling me that's going to get better, but what am I going to do with my time? So I start to worry that actually this could be a net negative for me because I might lose my job or I might not be valuable to the organization anymore. And so that's the stuff we have to overcome in terms of the what's in it for me focus. I totally agree. You have to paint that vision of what's in it for me, but you also have to understand that the utopia future state isn't always a perceived net positive individually during the transition when we don't know what's going to happen to our jobs or what's going to happen to our heroics and the tribal knowledge and the, you know, the, the fine-tuned processes that we've developed over years and decades of being as part of an organization. So great, great point in question there. Here's an interesting question. It's uh, from uh, Vin on YouTube. Vin says, what would be best practices for leaders to check in ensuring the digital transformation team is constantly engaged? And motivated. That is a really good question. And, and you're sort of tapping into a big problem with digital transformations is motivation. How do you keep people from burning out, especially the people that are 
actively involved in the digital transformation because they're under so much pressure to hit these milestones and deadlines. Um, oftentimes, by the way, these milestones and deadlines are artificially compressed. They're not realistic. And we're expecting people to execute an unrealistic plan that we never, you know, we're going to realistically achieve. Now we're putting on the pressure, all this pressure on the digital transformation team to accomplish these unrealistic goals and objectives. So, I mean, first of all, the best thing leaders can do is have a realistic plan. Um, another dynamic that's worth noting is that a lot of organizations or a lot of uh, digital transformation teams have this bad habit of getting a proposal from a software vendor or a system integrator and using that as gospel and saying, okay, vendor slash system integrator um, says this is going to be an 18 month project. So this is an 18 month project. Problem is vendors and system integrators are oftentimes overly optimistic or have unrealistic assumptions in how they got to that 18 months and, or they don't have a complete plan of all the things that are required to make that project happen. In other words, they are focused on what they need to do and what they can get done in 18 months, but that doesn't mean your business is going to change and all this change management stuff we're talking about is going to happen in 18 months. It also, by the way, typically doesn't include other things like process improvement and defining process changes and doing the data migration and defining analytics and integration and architecture, all this stuff that oftentimes falls outside the purview of a system integrator or software vendor, but is super critical to a digital transformation that stuff is more commonly or more often than not, not included in that initial proposal that they provide you. So now you get this 18 month proposal for $5 million, whatever the number is, $5 million to implement 18 months. Suddenly you use that as gospel. You put the expectation on your team. We're going to do this in 18 months and you've got $5 million to do it. Problem is it was always going to take you 36 months and $10 million. That was always the more realistic number but now you're expecting the team to get it done for less when it, when it's not realistic. So that, that pressure is very real and it adds up and it, and it can burn out a project team. And just in general, even aside from that dynamic digital transformations are hard. It's a lot of work. There are just so many decisions and um, activities that need to happen during a digital transformation that can be overwhelming. People do get burned out. So a couple of things you can do is first of all, Set realistic expectations from the start. That's probably the most important thing you can do because then you're less likely to put this artificial, uh, unrealistic pressure on your team that's going to lead them to burn out faster. Um, secondly, is you want to make sure you have the proper amount of staffing and resources on the project because one of the reasons why organizations and teams get burned out is because they don't have enough people supporting the project. They think that they can get by with just five people instead of 10 or or five half-time people instead of five full-time people on the project. And they try to skimp or what's more common nowadays in sort of this post-COVID world is that so many organizations are lean or leaner than they've ever been. And they just don't have the bandwidth or the internal capacity to take on one of these projects. And if that's the case, if that's just the reality, you cannot staff up your project any more than you, you already are. Then the other lever you can pull on is, well, instead of that 18-month project, maybe we do need to throttle back to 24 or 30 or 36 months and go at a steadier, slower pace, knowing that we don't have enough people on this project internally. And here's a dynamic you have to watch for is you're going to get resistance externally from the organization, from your software vendor and system integrator, who's going to insist that you need to do it in 18 months and that you can do it in 18 months because they make more money faster if you do. So that, again, back to what's in it for me and economic self-interest, software vendors and system integrators are the same way. They're looking out for their self-interest and oftentimes 
they are giving advice and making proposals that serve that self-serve them, but don't self-serve you. And so you have to look at the reality of, or add a dose of reality to whatever plan you get from a system integrator or a software vendor, and you have to right size it for you. And if you're short staffed, you know, you're lean, you know, you don't have enough people to support this project. Don't go in with that 18 month unrealistic project when you could extend that out to 24 or 30 or whatever you need to. Now, of course, you want to be aggressive. You want to manage the project. You want to make sure this doesn't turn into an endless cycle that doesn't go anywhere. You don't want that. So you do want to be aggressive. You want to have accountability. You want to have milestones, all that stuff. But you also have to be realistic about it. And too often organizations are completely unrealistic uh, around all the assumptions. So that's, you know, one of the other things you can do is just make sure that you have uh, realistic um, resourcing on the project that will reduce burnout and uh, reduce the need to go out of your way to keep people motivated. And also, you know, th there is some health to letting people cycle in and out of the project within reason. You don't want to turn over the entire team and have people, you know, just staying on for three or six months and then moving out right away. But you can sort of selectively rotate people in and out. So you, so you do bring in some fresh energy and um, as people start to get tired, you can let them go. Some of them go back to their day jobs while you're rotating in others. Um, you, you, that's an arts and science. You have to be careful with that because again, you don't want to overdo it to where you, you have so much turnover that it creates turmoil, but you can be, there's a healthy amount of attrition on a project team to where you can um, allow people to go back to their jobs and also bring in new people or, you know, other team members that weren't a part of the project, but maybe have been part of the organization, bring them in to help support the project uh, for, for periods of time. So that's, that's something else you can do as well. So great question there around how to keep people engaged and motivated. The other thing I'd say too, as far as the engagement to keep a digital transformation team fully engaged, you have to make sure the leadership team is fully engaged because if they're not fully engaged, if the leadership team is not fully engaged and they're not supporting and being actively involved in the project, the, the digital transformation team will lose motivation uh, very quickly. But if they see the leadership team actively involved in helping make these decisions and they're sort of side by side in the, you know, in the, in the battle, if you will, in the change management battle, that can be, that's a very powerful non-monetary way to incentivize and motivate a project team. So there's a lot of questions uh, floating around here around measurement, you know, how you measure change. And what I'll say, maybe to simplify in the interest of time, is to say that, you know, those organizational assessments that I talked about earlier, the, the quantitative organizational assessments are a great way to quantify change. And those organizational readiness assessments where you're measuring different dimensions of change, like communication, collaboration, um, data exchange, uh, perceptions of leadership, those are things that we actually quantify and we track over time. So you can see how the organization is shifting and evolving. And you can compare your organization to others. You, when, you, when you have a consulting firm like ours at third stage do that, um, that allows you, you know, to, to kind of look at how do we compare to others and how can we, how do we measure to other organizations in terms of that resistance to change. So that or, organizational readiness assessment is a key way to, um, to manage that, that change or, or to measure that change management. And uh, it can be a great way to benchmark it to other organizations, but also benchmark over time how your organization is, is evolving as well. <laughs> um, this is from Devendra on, on LinkedIn. I just have to show it because I laughed at it. Uh, Devendra on LinkedIn says, I like your voice much similar to a robot voiceover. So thank you. Uh, 
I think, I think, thank you. <laughs> I, th I think you meant that as a compliment. So thank you. Um, uh, Jamal on, on LinkedIn says, um, the whole, the, the entire team should work to make it happen. I agree. You, you want the entire team to make sure that you're, um, all committed to making that change happen. Um, here's an interesting question here. Uh, actually, I, I don't know that I've been asked this question before, so I have to think of how I'm going to answer it. Uh, this is from Gassan on LinkedIn. He says conflicts of interest for conflict of interest for a system integrator to say he or she is going to address the change management initiative. It has been an unbiased entity that can come in and say halt at any stage of the digital transformation project. So I think he's commenting or saying or suggesting that he thinks that it is a conflict of interest. And I, I do tend to agree because change management is something that will absolutely have what's the word I'm looking for. There'll be tension between the needs from a change management perspective and what a technical implementation team wants and can do, wants to do and can do. In other words, a technical implementer can implement technology. And let's say, I'm going to go back to my 18 month example. When they propose 18 months and they say we can implement technology in 18 months, they can. They could probably do it in a lot less time, actually. They could probably do it in three months or 30 days. I mean, they, if they put enough resources on the project, they can probably build the technology they need to build as fast as possible. But that's, I don't want to say that's the easy part of the project, but that's not the time commitment. That's not the thing that's going to determine how long this transformation really takes. What determines how long this transformation is really going to take is change management, it's decision-making, it's defining business processes, uh, how long it takes us to make decisions around our business processes. It's um, figuring out how we're going to integrate the new technology to the, to the legacy technologies that remain. It's figuring out how the data is going to um, be migrated into the new system. Those are the things that are going to turn the project into from an 18 month project into a 24, 30, 36 month project, all the stuff I just mentioned. So it is somewhat of a conflict of interest to have a software vendor or system integrator come in and say, no, 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 it's not going to take you three years. We're going to do this in 18 months. And they're sort of in, they're indirectly or maybe unintentionally sort of putting a gun to your head saying, no, you are going to change it this fast. And when the change management team comes in and says, no, 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 we can't change that fast. We need more time. A lot of times system integrators and software vendors will say, well, that's because you're resisting change and you just accept our best practices and you can do this a lot faster if you would just be quiet and just stop complaining about resistance to change and just do it. That's sort of, and I'm paraphrasing of course, but that's the sort of the summary results that you often see in that tension between change management and technical implementation. Same can be said for all these other things I mentioned too, like data migration, process improvements, um, system architecture and integration. Those are all things that are going to create tension between sort of the reality of what it's going to take to get the digital transformation done right versus doing a, a pure technical implementation. Um, we, we often remember this isn't like back, you know, if you're old enough to remember the win, the big Windows 98 migration back when organizations were all sort of shifting from Windows 95 or whatever it was to the big upgrade to 98. You know, a lot of times CIOs think, well, that wasn't that difficult. I mean, it, it was just sort of like we reinstalled the new operating system and, you know, how hard can it be? This is, this is different because we're not putting in a new operating system on everyone's computer. We're putting in massive wholesale changes to the way we operate as a business. That's the part that takes extra time. So that's, that's the way we have to, to really think about it. So these are all great questions. There's a lot here we have not gotten to, and I, I apologize. I feel like we could have a whole nother session just getting through uh, the, these questions here. In fact, uh, Gassan, as I was saying that, just had a comment here that I saw. 
You took the words right out of my mouth. Gassan on LinkedIn says, need a part two of this podcast. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Eric. We will absolutely have to do a part two of this podcast, and I'll probably have to pull a lot of these questions uh, back into the conversation. All right. That was a great conversation. Thank you for the audience participation and involvement and great questions as it relates to change management. A lot of stuff we didn't cover, we should cover in a future episode. We'd love to get to in a future episode, uh, but that was a great uh, one-hour primer on uh, change management in the world of digital transformation. We've got a lot more to cover and to debrief and dive into as it relates to that. Um, but first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Crop Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 133. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms, or you can go to transformationgroundcontrol.com to see all the latest episodes and scroll through past episodes that you might have missed, so be sure to check us out there. So we just chatted about change management and, and covered a lot of ground there uh, with the audience here, Kyler. What were some of your thoughts and takeaways from the conversation? Well, I mean, that was an excellent conversation. And thank you to everyone for asking such dynamic questions. I mean, those questions, we could have spent an entire episode on a few of those. Um, they were really, really thought provoking. So I'm going to go back and, and pull a lot of those um, for next week's episode. But there's a few that I kind of want to dig into here, um, Eric, that, that we didn't quite get to. And I agree with Gasan, by the way, we should definitely do a, a part two to that um, because it was a great conversation. Um, and we can invite everyone who attended to that part two episode so we can continue the conversation. Absolutely. I agree but, with him too. Um, yeah. So when we talk about the, the measurement of change, we had a few um, questions on that. And I know you had talked about kind of the organizational as assessment, but I thought I might bring that kind of full circle when it talks about organizational assessment and kind of what that comes to fruition about maintenance KPIs for change management. Because, of course, you can look at, you know, what is your aptitude for change right now in planning for your implementation, which is a critical step. But is that the only change management metric and data pool you should be taking? Or what does that look like as far as kind of post-go-live maintenance metrics? Yeah, that's a great question. And we, we did not get into that in the conversation. Um, but it's, a, it's worth noting that there are other metrics as well that aren't focus necessarily just on the change management process and and sort of trying to uncover and unpack what the change issues are along the way but it's just as important maybe even more important to look at the 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 bigger picture longer term longer lasting metrics and impact to the organization so um, in other words what is the business value that we're gaining from this transformation and a lot of that ties back to change management not all of it but a lot of that result ties back to change management it could tie back to other things too, though. That's the 
the difficulty in this this measure that I'm suggesting is that if we look at what business value are we getting out of our digital transformation, um, a lot of that is influenced by change management, but it could also be influenced by the process improvements and the the way we deploy technology and all this other stuff. But it's a great it's a great thing to stay focused on overall, not just from a change management perspective, but for the whole project. So that's that's a big one. Another one is um, in addition to the longer term business value is also to look at um, operational disruption and what the impact that the potential negative impact to the organization is in the short term and making sure we minimize that. So that's another measure that's important to look at because it also helps it helps leaders within an organization understand the risks and rewards of digital transformation. And, and usually we're focused on the rewards, but a lot of times we don't think about the risk, like what happens if we can't ship product or we can't run payroll or close the books for X number of weeks or months after go live, what does that cost us as a business? And are we willing to live with that risk? And so um, that's a way change management can be sold to an organization too, is to mini minimize or mitigate that negative impact to the organization. So those are a couple ways to look at it as well. And I think those are excellent points because a lot of times those are areas in which could be pain points or weaknesses in the overall strategy that the vendor doesn't want to talk about, right? That everything's going to go fine. It's going to be great. It's going to be perfect. But if you don't go through those scenarios and then you're experiencing them, obviously you can't triage that situation effectively. Kind of what we talked about, that proof of concept and really laying out and mapping out those scenarios. Which brings me kind of to my next question. I know we talked about kind of vendors and change management, but we had a, a lot of questions around just overall alignment at the executive level, overall investing in change management. How would you address a board or an executive group of decision makers that say, yeah, change management would be nice to have, but we're going to focus the budget on, on the technical implementation and really focusing on that side. And if we have any issues, yeah, we'll bring in change management after the fact. How would you address that? Well, I'd say you could just cut to the chase and and recognize you are going to have change management issues. So do one of two things, either budget for change management and include that in your budget, or if budget is finite, it's limited, which it is for a lot of organizations or most organizations, and you can't increase the budget to accommodate change management, then I would suggest you cut the scope and the budget for technology and invest more of that, move more of the chips on the table towards change management because you're going to get a better payoff from change management investments than you are technology. You, you just are. You have to have technology, obviously, to enable some of the changes you're trying to make, but you don't need to go overboard. And sometimes it's better just to simplify the technology you're deploying and invest heavily or heavier in the change management piece. So I would I would say, just, let's just cut to the chase and get to it because change management is going to be a problem or a challenge. So let's figure out how we're going to address it. Are we going to add to our budget or are we going to cut scope somewhere else? And if you're going to cut scope somewhere else, I'd say cut the technology, because quite frankly, that's the least important part of the project. It's the other stuff that's going to make the change stick. Absolutely. And I, I think a lot of that can can be used through, I had popped in our comments during your conversation, our um, secret sauce guide to um, change management. A lot of that can be used to kind of create some ethos around that conversation of why change management is critical to the overall success of the project. Um, so definitely would love to hear kind of your feedback on that. If you do have additional questions for Eric that you'd like us to address next week, please pop them in the conversation here. Um, I think it's so important to have, you know, a, a real transparent conversation on the importance of change management and all of you created such tactical strategies that we'll definitely 
dive into um, in future episodes. So thank you for all of that great content. And thank you, Eric, for answering all of our questions. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for uh, adding your questions as well and for the follow-up conversation. Um, well, great. Well, we'll have to do that in a future episode as well, a follow-up part two to uh, what is change management. And we could probably do more than that even. So uh, thank you for everyone for the great questions there. So we've got one more segment to get to here today. We're going to uh, share with you an excerpt from my new book called The Final Countdown, which you can learn more about at thefinalcountdown.com. Kyler is going to share with us her favorite part of the book. So uh, stick around for that. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 133. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. You can also go to transformationgroundcontrol.com to learn more about the podcast or and uh, or to, to watch or listen to the podcast. So uh, I have a new book coming out on August 25th, which I'm very excited about. It's called The Final Countdown. It's all about digital strategy and how to define the best digital strategy for your digital transformation. Uh, in that book, I cover the people, process, technology, and strategy aspects of digital transformation. And... Kyler is going to share with us an excerpt from the book. So you're getting sort of a sneak, sneak peek of what you can expect from the book. Uh, she's going to read us a little excerpt from her favorite part of the book. So let's, let's cut to Kyler uh, sharing with us her favorite part of the book called The Final Countdown. The book is a three-part book. It focuses on um, people, process, and technology per our third stage methodology here. So as Eric mentioned, his new book called The Final Countdown Strategies to Reach the Third Stage of Digital Transformation comes out on August 26th, and we will start pre-sale promotions on August 15th. So with that said, I am going to start with my personal favorite part of the book, which is part two, the people part. And I'm going to start with chapter nine why organizational change management matters. So I hope you enjoy and let me know in the comments if you'd like some more excerpts from the book. And I am happy uh, to read along with you today. So let's get to it. Chapter nine, why organizational change management matters. It is not the strongest or the most intelligent who will survive, but those who can best manage change. Charles Darwin. This holds true in every aspect of life, regardless of whether it's personal or professional. There's a reason why organizations like Weight Watchers or Alcoholics Anonymous exist. They are essentially organizations that help people through personal transformations of their own. 
They help people manage change and get past the discomfort of finding a new normal using specific goals and processes. The thought of positive changes initially gets people excited. Maybe it's the thought of finally being able to run a marathon or be substance-free and living a more fulfilled life. Maybe it's automating our warehouse operations to drive efficiencies in our process. Whatever the change, it's often perceived with excitement to think about potential improvements at the other side of the finish line. However, when it comes down to it, most people will regress into old habits and revert back into their comfort zone if they are not able to effectively manage change and sustain a new normal. All the effort, time, and money spent trying to improve a situation will be pointless and in some cases detrimental without the right change management strategy. An organization, an organizational change management plan is one of the most primary aspects of formulating a sound, overarching digital strategy. It's an organization, as an organization, excuse me, gets ready to undergo a transformation as large as implementing a new enterprise technology. It cannot afford to let organizational change management or OCM be an afterthought. Many companies make the mistake of neglecting OCM until the middle or the end of a project, leading to gaping operational holes once it's time to go live. After all, technology is only a machine until it's powered by people. Without the support, understanding, and buy-in of those who power the technology and operate the processes, these high capital projects may flatline. Now, Why is it that many organizations keep OCM by the wayside until they're deep into the project? It's simple, misalignment. Many times, those in charge are more focused on capital expenditures and meeting deadlines than they are ensuring their team will successfully adapt. They are simply not aligned on the significance of organizational change management. Change management is one of the most critical success factors for digital transformation, and yet it can be very difficult to sell an entire executive team and other key stakeholders on the concept of managing change as a part of greater digital strategy. This is particularly true with executives and people that don't have a lot of experience with organizational change management or with complex digital transformations in general. The following key points can help companies obtain buy-in from stakeholders and executives and enable their recognition of the need for a strong OCM strategy. If we take these points to the boardroom with us, we will better acquire buy-in from decision makers to pour into change management just as they do into process management and software implementation. Define organizational change management. 
To understand what change management is, it often helps to start with what it's not. Change management is not a soft, intangible concept that will have the team sitting in a circle singing kumbaya and making each other feel good. There is a lot more to change management beyond just training people on how to use the new system or follow a new process. In fact, we can argue that the success or failure of an organization depends entirely on how well the people behind the day-to-day processes acclimate to new terrain. Organizational change management is about intangible business results. It's about the impact that a given change will have on our employees and team members and ultimately understanding how individuals and work groups within the organization are going to be affected. Once we understand what the change impact is and more specifically who will be impacted, we can craft target communications, training, and change efforts to fit the need. To keep it simple, organizational change management relates to any aspect of our business strategy that will take our company from where it is today to where it will be in 5, 10, maybe 20 years. It will also be people that drive process and technology. Without people, we simply have a process map and a machine. Change management prevents failure. During my career, I've had the honor of serving as an expert witness in high-profile lawsuits involving the largest software vendors in the world and entities that lost capital as a result of implementing their well-known software. Believe it or not, there is one common theme across all implementations that go to litigation, a lack of organizational change management. Often, it helps to share the exact sentiment with stakeholders to help them understand that change management is an absolute driver of success versus failure. As we discussed at the beginning of this book, there are two common layers that define success versus failure when it comes to digital transformation. One, implementing on time and on budget. Companies that don't invest appropriately in organizational change management will ultimately find that they will spend more time and more money on their implementation than they would if they had invested appropriately in organizational change management. Investing time and energy into a strategic organizational change management plan is absolutely critical to ensuring that we're successful in our implementation. Two, operational disruption. The second dimension of failure, which is even more costly and more turbulent than the first, is the concept of operational disruption. This is what happened to Nike. Their operations became compromised, and in turn, they had to deal with the chaotic inventory displacement. Our organizational change management strategies mitigate risk to ensure that people, our operations, and our organizations are all operating in synergy. 
Without synergy, it will be nearly impossible to reach orbit in our future state target operating model. If our change management plan is strong, then the transition to new processes and technology will be seamless, that it's more of a non-event rather than a massive chaotic affair. Change management optimizes business value. If we shift gears away from preventing failure and focus more on optimizing the investment, then the value in organizational change management will become even more apparent. There's a reason that most organizations don't manifest the full benefits they expect out of their technology. And nine times out of 10, it's because the people utilizing the new technology are resisting the change. We'll dive into the different types of resistance and how to get around that resistance in the next chapter. However, before we dive into the premise and solutions of change resistance, it's important to tie our OCM plan to the business value that will come from implementing the new technology. As elevated or maximized on return in investment is one of the most powerful concepts to use when selling the importance of change management to our stakeholders, especially at the executive level. To explain how a return on investment will be maximized by incorporating a change management strategy, paint this picture at the conference table. Imagine a scenario where every single frontline manager and employee is using the new software in harmony. Everyone is inputting data accurately, referencing the data as needed, and in turn, spending less time trying to solve problems in their day-to-day -day tasks. By driving these efficiencies for everyone involved, employees have more time to focus on other tasks. They will feel less stressed, and ultimately, bottom line productivity will increase. As a result, we'll see a direct increase in our return on investment. Now imagine a scenario where there are a fraction of employees that are not utilizing the software at its full capacity. Maybe they weren't trained properly or maybe they don't think the transformation is necessary or maybe they're married to an old spreadsheet or process they created to get the job done and now they are having a hard time pivoting away from it. Whatever the reason may be, we have some employees and managers utilizing the software to gather and track data, and some employees who do not. This could lead to holes in the data, inaccurate information being pulled across teams, and functionalities on the new software that are not being utilized as they should. In these situations, productivity will be bruised as inefficiencies are halted as a result to skewed data. There are some multiple streams of data and reporting attributed to the fact that some people are getting numbers from new software while others are getting information from offline spreadsheets. There is no single source of truth in this situation and it holds the power to cause operational disruption, delays in the transformation project, and ultimately a loss in our capital investment. 
These scenario comparisons ought to help people get on the change management wagon to some degree or another. Okay, we're here with Kyler sharing an excerpt from my new book called The Final Countdown, which is going to be released on August 25th. You can learn more about that book at thefinalcountdown.com. She's got a bit more to get to here today or more of the excerpt she's going to share with us here in just a moment. But first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling with Third Stage Consulting and your host of Transformation Ground Control. I want to encourage you to read our Guide to Organizational Change Management. It's a free report or a free guide that we published. It's one that I actually wrote that talks about best practices and lessons learned as it relates to change management. So as you know, on this podcast, we cover a lot of stuff related to the human sides of change, organizational change management, including training, communications, org design, all kinds of stuff as it relates to change management. So if you're trying to learn more about change management, or you're looking for more direction and ideas on how to get started on your change management strategy and your overall journey, be sure to check out this guide. You can read it by scanning the QR code on the screen in front of you or in the links below for this particular podcast episode. You can find a link to uh, take you to the page that will allow you to register to go ahead and download that and read it for free. So be sure to check it out. It's the Guide to Organizational Change Management uh, written by yours truly. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think and hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 133. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham, and Kyler is sharing with us her favorite excerpt from the book called The Final Countdown. There's uh, more that she wants to get to here, so let's dive back into the conversation. Standardizing growth, a global ERP organizational change case study. This case study explores the journey of a U.S.-based global organization founded in the 1920s, which successfully implemented a tier one ERP system to consolidate its legacy environments. With revenues exceeding $6 billion and a workforce of over 10,000 employees, the company faced the challenge of aligning its historic siloed business models with its founder's vision and culture. The third stage project team supported and played a pivotal role in assessing implementation readiness, guiding cultural transformation, and aligning the change with the corporate strategy, ultimately achieving global data and process standardization. The featured company is a renowned manufacturer and distributor of food products, fertilizer, and agricultural goods. Again, established in the 1920s, the organization maintained its commitment to the founder's vision and culture over decades, resulting in a sustained success and significant global expansion. However, as the company grew, it encountered challenges related to its operating in siloed environments, managing complex legacy systems, and ensuring consistency across its diverse business divisions. To address these challenges, the company embarked on a transformation journey by implementing a Tier 1 ERP system 
aiming to standardize data and processes globally. Project initiation and vendor selection. To achieve its objective of global standardization, the company initiated the third stage project with the support of Deloitte. The project team began by conducting an in-depth analysis of Deloitte's proposed implementation plan, ensuring alignment with the company's specific requirements and strategic goals. After a rigorous evaluation process, the organization selected a suitable Tier 1 ERP system that could meet its complex needs and accommodate its widespread global operations. Implementation Readiness Assessment One of the critical early steps in the ERP implementation was to assess the organization's readiness for the change. The project team, in collaboration with Deloitte, conducted a comprehensive analysis of various aspects, including people, technical capabilities, and existing business processes. This readiness assessment allowed the company to identify potential challenges, areas for improvement, and key stakeholders whose support was critical for a successful implementation. Guiding Cultural Transformation Given the company's deep-rooted history and the founder's vision, managing cultural transformation was a paramount of importance. The project team recognized the significance of preserving core values while embracing change and innovation. Guided by Deloitte, the company initiated a cultural transformation initiative that focused on communicating the benefits of ERP implementation, fostering collaboration between different business divisions, and encouraging a positive attitude towards change. Alignment with corporate strategy. The ERP implementation was not just a technical upgrade. It was strategically aligned with the company's broader corporate strategy. The project team worked closely with key stakeholders and leaders to ensure the implementation of the ERP system supported the company's long-term goals and visions. By aligning the ERP implementation with the corporate strategy, the organization was able to gain executive buy-in and effectively prioritize resources. Standardizing processes and communication. A significant change from the historic siloed business model was the emphasis on global process standardization. The ERP implementation allowed the company to streamline its operations, eliminate redundant processes, and harmonize business practices across different locations. This standardization not only improved operational efficiencies, but also facilitated better communication and collaboration between business divisions, breaking down barriers that existed in that legacy environment. Results and benefit. The successful implementation of the Tier 1 ERP system yielded several positive outcomes for the company. Global data and process standardization. The ERP system enabled the company to achieve consistent data management and process standardization across its diverse global operations, promoting greater transparency and efficiency. Improved cross 
functional collaboration. By breaking down silos and aligning communication, the company witnessed various improved collaboration and knowledge sharing across business divisions and fostering a more cohesive organizational culture. Enhanced decision-making. The availability of real-time data and analytics provided by the ERP system empowered decision-makers with valuable insights, enabling data-driven decision-making at all levels of the organization. Streamline operations. The ERP implementation led to streamline and optimize business processes, reducing operational complexity and costs, and enhancing overall productivity. Through careful planning, cultural transformation, and alignment with corporate strategies, the company navigated the shift from its historic siloed business model to a more collaborative and streamlined approach. The ERP implementation allowed the organization to enhance efficiency, improve decision-making, and reinforce its founder's vision and culture while positioning itself for sustained growth in the competitive global market. Change management reduces disarray. One of the intangible benefits of dialing in on a change management plan as a part of our digital strategy is the simple fact that it will make our software rollout incredibly easier. It will make it simple to integrate new processes because we have alignment and everyone spearheading the change or part of the change is ready to adopt to the new day-to-day. No one likes going cold turkey. People need to ease in. As a leadership team, we need to hold their hands as they walk from one side of the bridge to the other, creating a plan for how and when to announce the change is coming, how to train accordingly to ensure everyone knows the game plan, how to get everyone excited and Even fine-tuning everyone's acclimation post-go-live will drive the most seamless and effective digital transformation. At the end of the day, we're essentially creating an environment within our business that can scale. An organization grows faster than it would otherwise if it has a culture of elasticity and is ready to pivot when the company's process and technologies change. It is critical that a business has a sound organizational change plan in order to tie together all the different components of a digital strategy. Without it, it's difficult to craft a solid foundation for growth. In addition, a comprehensive change plan will also help us navigate the waters of inevitable resistance that we will experience from our team. No matter what our culture is, how big or small our company is, or how much software implementation will support our organization's growth, there will always be people who resist change. The problem is, it's this group of people reluctant to adapt to new ways of doing things that have the power to completely derail a digital transformation success. So, how can we identify and win over the people who do not want to change? Okay, we're here with Kyler sharing an excerpt from my new book called The Final Countdown, which is going to be released on August 25th. You can learn more about that book at thefinalcountdown.com. 
She's got a bit more to get to here today or more of the excerpt she's going to share with us here in just a moment. But first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 133. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham, and Kyler is sharing with us her favorite excerpt from the book called The Final Countdown. There's uh, more that she wants to get to here, so let's dive back into the conversation. Chapter 10, Understanding Resistance to Change. Change is the world's one constant. We live in a world that is ever-evolving. Not one thing in life will stay constant through time. Yet even with the promise, humans still face challenges when it comes to withstanding change. Take Fred, for instance. He's a guy who loves cheeseburgers and milkshakes. Year after year, his wife will tell him to opt in for more vegetables to help him slim down and get healthier. When Fred thinks about it, he gets excited. Who doesn't want to have more energy and feel more confident? Why wouldn't I want to be healthy? He's on board for a couple days, but then Fred drives past his favorite burger joint on his way home from work. He says to himself, one more burger won't hurt. His wife isn't here to give him a hard time. It will be fine. The next thing you know, he's eating burgers and milkshakes regularly again. It's his habit. It's his feel-good food. It's his comfort zone. This continues until Fred goes for his annual checkup and is told by his doctors that he is at risk for a major heart attack. And the only way he'll turn around is if he adjusts his diet. Things suddenly become more serious for Fred and he finally cuts down on those cheeseburgers. He realizes that in order to stay alive, and be here for the people he loves, he needs to push past the discomfort and build new habits and new likings. For Fred, the decision to adapt to a change to his day-to-day is rooted in the deep psychiatric motivator that his life literally depends on making a change and getting used to a new normal. It's hard to get behind changing a habit that is easy, familiar, or enjoyable. It's the comfort zone that cripples people in moving forward. It's the comfort zone that drives resistance to change. Yet the comfort zone is where the vast majority of the world's population likes to live. People often experience a feeling of comfort in their environment where they are familiar. A person's stress level and anxiety levels are relatively low when things feel safe and when there is a sense of control in their activities. To step out of this mindset is a challenge. 
The psychological toll that change will bring to those who will endure it is too often an afterthought of those who are leading the change. The irony is the lack of consideration is oftentimes the leadership team slipping into a comfortable thought of their own that technology and processes will be the silver bullet that solves everything. Sorry to break it to you, but there's no such thing as a silver bullet when it comes to creating a digital strategy. It's time to shift that paradigm as a leader. It's time to stretch our mindsets. It's time to understand that the concept of change is easier discussed than implemented. When it comes to time for Phil in accounting to change his entire process when running through accounts receivable, there may be pushback. It's true as the sky is blue. The question is, how much pushback? Mastering perseverance through resistance to change is what will set apart the good from the great. To get past resistance to change, we first need to know how to identify resistance. Think of the concept of resistance as the iceberg that brought down the Titanic. Only the tip of the iceberg was apparent to the human eye, but it was a giant mass beneath the surface that caused the most damage and ultimately sunk the ship. Every story of resistance to change mirrors an iceberg. There will always be a small group of people that express or have expressed resistance, making it apparent to the naked eye. Maybe they're vocal about it to the management team or through a survey, expressing that there is no need for change and everything is functional well as it is. Maybe it's people who have shown resistance to different types of change in the past. Regardless of how it's realized, it's the employees that are intentional and obvious about their resistance to change that are the tip of that iceberg. The struggle comes when employee resistance is unrealized and unintentional. Let's look back again at Fred's story. The thought of change excited him. He wanted to feel good and look good, but when it came down to it, he would revert back to his comfort zone. A parallel story can be told about some of the employees on our team that will undergo a change in their duties, whether it's their day-to-day -day processes or the technology implemented in an attempt to streamline their responsibilities within the company. This is unintentional resistance and makes up the vast majority of the resistance to change we will experience through our digital transformation project. When an organization initially announces a change, excitement is typically at its peak. Nearly everyone will buy into the dream, the promise of more seamless operations, the potential of higher revenues, increased commissions, less busy work, etc. The possibilities are endless. It creates momentum that gets nearly everyone in the organization excited about what's to come. However, as the implementation progresses, some who were once excited will become threatened. Many times, automating an employee's responsibility will make them question what their role will look like once the implementation is completed. Questions will begin running through their mind and their excitement will sour. They'll wonder, will I still have a job? What about the spreadsheet I made that has been a hub for my team all these years? Am I going to need to learn a new skill? Before we know it, 
their perspective swiftly shifts into a fear mindset that drives resistance. It's these individuals who resist the change more than anyone else. It's those who unintentionally resist that have the power to hinder a digital transformation and deflate the potential of a successful software implementation. When we begin crafting a digital strategy, it's important to be mindful about these two types of resistance. They will always present themselves when implementing any type of change. The tip of the iceberg, intentional resistance, is visible to all who pass by. However, the unintentional resistance that lies below the surface is far greater in magnitude than what appears to the eye. It poses a much larger threat to the success of the implementation. Example of intentional resistance. The head of sales of an organization decides it's time to implement a new CRM that will help his sales team track all of their leads and walk new clients through the sales process in an efficient and effective manner. His star salesman, however, is used to simply going to events, networking with prospects, and connecting with leads to the business development team via email or text. It's quick and simple, and it seemed great success. During a meeting to discuss the concept of incorporating a new CRM, the salesman states his hesitations. He believes that adding a CRM will only create busy work since he would need to enter all the lead data rather than connecting with people via email. Example of unintentional resistance. Phil in accounting has a beautiful spreadsheet that he created that has helped him track his work for the past few years. He has grown accustomed to entering his data on his spreadsheet. He knows where all of his numbers are and where to find the information, and it's something he was recognized for last year when he took the initiative to create it for his team. It's safe to assume that Phil is going to have a hard time when a new ERP system overhauls his spreadsheet, making his hard work and regular process irrelevant. The element that challenges most companies when it comes to improperly managing change is improperly managing the resistance that comes with change. A company can spend millions of dollars implementing new technology, but when the transformation is complete, there will always be a group of employees that becomes proficient at finding workarounds to the new process in place. They will continue utilizing their tired and true spreadsheets and documents that they utilized prior to the transformation. They will always skip the data entry process and just forward information on as they always have. Whatever their comfort zone, they will always find a way back to it until they have a reason not to, a reason that deeply motivates them to move forward and stay in that newly produced territory. Okay, we're here with Kyler sharing an excerpt from my new book called The Final Countdown, which is going to be released on August 25th. You can learn more about that book at thefinalcountdown.com. She's got a bit more to get to here today or more of the excerpt she's going to share with us here in just a moment. But first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. 
Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 133. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham, and Kyler is sharing with us her favorite excerpt from the book called The Final Countdown. There's uh, more that she wants to get to here, so let's dive back into the conversation. There are so many variables that can cause both intentional and unintentional resistance that makes uncovering the root cause of resistance a seemingly daunting task. However, in order to craft a strategy around how to overcome resistance, we need to understand the root cause of resistance. There are three common root causes of resistance, and once we are aware of them, we can better spot the inherent risk of resistance to change. Competency. There will always be a fringe group of employees that will serve up intentional resistance. There are two speculative groups that will have the hardest time undergoing a change. The employees who are the most educated and competent and the employees who are not confident in their abilities to master something new. It's the outliers within an employee base that will often have the hardest time pivoting from their day to day and they will be the most obvious in their pushback to change. Some of the biggest struggles in change management will come with companies that employ PhDs or highly effective and competent individuals. These individuals have so much faith in the way things work in the current state that they often shy away from adopting to something new. Unintentional resistance will be scattered amongst the rest of the employee base, but this group will typically be vocal. Misunderstanding. If people do not understand what they are being asked to do or why they are being asked to do it, they will likely resist. When there is not a clearly defined and positioned explanation of what is next, or if there is any fog surrounding how the future state will support those who will be losing their sacred spreadsheets, they will likely resist. This is where generic communications can derail a project. We cannot approach a change with a uniform blanket message to cover every team the same way. Change affects different departments, functional areas, geographies, and even individuals differently. The communication to each channel should have a cohesive message, but the carrot will likely need to be different for each department. Each department is motivated by something different. For example, those in sales are more money motivated. Those in accounting are more motivated by efficiencies and discipline of busy work. 
Having a clear, distinct message that is communicated properly is the first step to tackling any resistance that might come up during a change. If, for nothing else, to ensure everyone is on the same page and understand what's happening, when it's happening, and why. Misalignment. We often talk about how misalignment can destroy implementation efforts. The threat of misalignment also extends into the workforce, the teams that will actually utilize the technology. Often tied with misunderstanding, if a user senses that an upcoming software initiative may impede what they know has worked in the past, they will resist the change. Consider the recent case of a consumer goods distributor who was directed by their parent company to implement SAP across all divisions. Prior to this implementation, the small distributor had run a very successful business by creating a niche for their product and maintaining an entrepreneurial spirit in getting things done. It did not take long for users to realize the procedural mandates that were coming as a part of the SAP implementation and standardization efforts of their parent organization would put that entrepreneurial spirit at risk. If things were to become more standardized, then the once flexible and empowering company culture would be compromised to fit the new system that was coming into play. In this scenario, there was misalignment in not only their understanding of the change, but there was misalignment between their culture and the chosen technology. The system they chose did not support their team's entrepreneurial mindset that helped the company thrive and empowered employees to do things in their own way to a certain degree. And it clashed when it came time to go live with the new software. The purpose of initially identifying the causes and forms of resistance is to help build a successful organizational change management or OCM plan as a part of the greater digital strategy. This is why most change management efforts fail because most people assume that the same change methodology that has worked for one organization will work for the other. Each company, each department, each team, and each individual has varying appetite for change. It is the responsibility of the project leadership and the executives leading the project to be mindful of how the change will impact everything from the company culture to specific job roles and responsibilities of those on the team. Once we have a grasp on that insight, we can craft a message that will alleviate the root cause of resistance. Regardless of the source, it's apparent and intentional and unintentional resistance to change is inevitable, no matter the organization. Beyond these initial root causes, resistance can also sprout from cultural issues within the organization as well. Many times, it's the company culture that determines the level of resistance that will play into the organization's push towards change. Some organizations have cultivated a culture of adapting well to change, while others have the opposite reaction. Regardless of where a business falls on the spectrum, gauging the level and rate of resistance we will experience in tandem with our kickoff to any digital transformation is a very important piece of the puzzle. In order to build an organizational change management strategy that will alleviate resistance head on, 
it's important to perform an organizational assessment that will highlight the challenges we'll face along the way. A great place to start an organizational assessment is to send a survey to the greater team. Surveying our team is a critical piece of mapping out our organizational change management strategy. To acquire employee feedback on the current gaps and holes within the current system is to dial in on the true need of the organization. In every organization, it's a promise that employees have gotten used to the current process and have developed their own approach to completing their daily tasks. To survey our team is to measure their mindset. It's to understand what's going well for them and what's giving them a hard time. It will provide a new lens into the day-to-day of each team's responsibilities. When done correctly, a survey could shine light on both intentional and unintentional resistance that will appear once the transformation commences, and it will give us a starting point in building out our organizational change management strategy. The way this survey is presented is what could differentiate fabricated answers about the gaps in the system and authentic and true answers that will reflect the good, the bad, and the ugly that each employee has to deal with each day. Let's face it. If we are going to allocate mass amounts of capital towards a digital transformation project, we want to get a lens into the good, the bad, and the ugly so we can find the right solution. However, if an employee thinks that they will personally be judged for their answers, they will not give us the truth. They will only tell us the good, and that's only a part of what we're looking for. Rather, here are a few ways we can introduce authentic survey responses from our team. Have a third party host the delivery of the survey. This will create a sense of separation between the employee and their company, making them slightly more transparent in their answers. We will have to put ourselves in their shoes. Employees will often sugarcoat their answers if they are aware that their management team will review their survey answers. It's far too common that filtered perspectives shared by frontline employees misleads leadership teams to focus on solving the wrong issues. We can't let that happen. Take management out of the picture and enable a third party to facilitate the survey. If we are planning to undergo a digital transformation, we're likely working with an independent third party consultant anyway. It's helpful to lean on them and ask them to facilitate the survey to ensure we are getting the most clear-cut, unfiltered feedback. Make the surveys anonymous. If employees know their answers cannot be tracked back to them specifically, they will be more vocal about their concerns. At the end of the day, we're after their concerns and the area of improvement. By making it known that each employee's response will be anonymous, That is one more wall they will put down while delivering their answers. Ask the right questions. To set our digital strategy on the right course, it's important to ask all accompanying questions when it comes to help illustrate the current state of the processes. By digging deeper into the specifics, we will be able to identify efficiencies and source bottlenecks in different workflows. We can ask questions like, how do you like your current technology? 
How do you feel other department software compares to yours? Do you have any spreadsheets that you utilize to complete tasks in your day-to-day? Have you created any specific processes that personally help you or your team succeed? Throughout the survey, it's also an opportunity to garner feedback regarding our company culture, including scaled or rating questions that will frame the organization's understanding and perspective of the company culture to help determine our team's appetite for change. Have employees score different attributes of the organization around team dynamics, trust between team members and leadership, and what, okay, what am I saying? Have employees score different attributes of the organization around team dynamics, trust between team members and leadership, and what they believe the company values are in their culture. Once we have this information, not only will we have better insight into the needs of the organization, but we will also shine a light on the tip of the iceberg. We will get a feed for what might come up unintentionally as well. Resistance, both intentional and unintentional, will become fairly apparent after proper surveys are completed. Once the substance below the surface is measured and analyzed, it becomes more intuitive to dial in on effective organizational change management plans. This was chapter 9 and 10 of The Final Countdown, written by Eric Kimberling, narrated by Kyler Cheatham. Pre-order your copy as of August 15th in the forum below and on Amazon. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you liked it. All right. Thanks, Skylar. That was interesting stuff, and uh, hopefully you enjoyed hearing uh, her favorite excerpt from my new book called The Final Countdown. You can learn more about it. You can get on the pre-order list to be notified when the book is available for pre-order by going to thefinalcountdown.com. And I'd love to hear your feedback on the book as well. So be sure to check it out, learn more about it, and register to be notified uh, when the book is released. Again, thefinalcountdown.com. So great episode here today. Thank you, everyone, for being part of it. And thanks for all the great engagement and conversation here today. Uh, look forward to the next episode. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday. You can go back and watch older episodes or past episodes of this show at transformationgroundcontrol.com. So be sure to check out the podcast website there. I uh, hope you all have a great week and we'll look forward to seeing you next week and Transformation Ground Control. Thanks very much and take care. Bye. Transformation